1: Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even one dollar can go a long way in supporting this
0: content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hello. Hello.
2: Hello. It sounds like you called to give me bad news.
0: I am here to give you bad news. Uh, are you wearing your chainmail? By Kiney?
2: Oh, um, you know, I left that at the dungeon. So I'm wearing the shirt that I got from Comic-Con.
0: Okay, well, I hope you're well-protected then.
2: I'm never well-protected.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, what's the shirt that you got from Comic-Con?
2: Uh, it's, it is, somehow, uh, this was not in, like, you know, those those four quadrants. It was, like, just kind of in a low-end uh, shirt booth. Sure. And, um... It's a page from the 70s Spider Man manga.
0: Oh, okay.
2: I read last year and absolutely love it. And it's honestly like, it's, it's literally my favorite page in the entire thing. So I, I like, the moment I saw that, it was genuinely like, shut up and take my money.
0: Is it a female or a male cut?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd think I'd learn to ask that. Um, but like, I mean, they didn't laugh when they sold it to me. So I, I, it fits well. But then again, the last one, no, the last one didn't fit well. But it's it's a male cut.
0: Okay. Well, I wasn't there to help protect you, so
2: (laughs) protect me, huh? I remember opening my phone and seeing that like, comic on my wallpaper, so I know where your loyalties lie.
0: What do you mean? What do I mean? What do I mean? (laughs) Well, uh, okay. Well, I've got a new game for you.
2: Is that so? Yeah. Um,
0: it's called Foreign Bodies. Are you ready for this?
2: Okay. (laughs) All right?
0: <laughs> okay so this involves body swapping with other people so yep. i need you, you i don't really need you to but if you would what person would you swap bodies with from comic books from tv or film and then what opposite gender
2: hmm okay so like comic books it can be anybody in, in comic books it, it can be anybody in tv and film and then opposite gender is that like real life
0: yes real life
2: <laughs> comic books i would i would change to somebody who could fly because i've always loved the idea of flying so let's say mm, i wouldn't want to mm, i wouldn't want to change my skin color i want to keep it real uh <laughs> Let's say let's say static because he, he I, I read him using his electromagnetic abilities to kind of not so much fly but hover, hover through the air. And of course, he has his like sewer top that he flies through. So let's say static. In um, TV and film, let's say TV and film. Let's say uh L from Death Note. Wow. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> because like he uh is the world's greatest detective and he's super he can kinda keep it casual, he doesn't wear any shoes and keep it super ganky and, and lanky and awkward, but he still has great fighting prowess. Um and this is the continuity where like, you know, Kira doesn't exist. And in real life I can't say you, can I? That's is that that's probably off the table. <laughs>
0: no we if you would like to body swap with me that's certainly fine
2: well have you read that that ultimate spider-man comic where he switched bodies with wolverine oh
0: uh i've only gotten to probably 50 so how Uh, after 50 i don't recall it
2: i don't remember what what issue that was but it was was a two-part it was a very comedic story um but I, i would i would trade bodies with you and whip your class into shape
0: interesting
2: and uh base it would be like Superior Spider Man where like, you know, by the time you get back to your original body, all your life has so drastically changed for the better.
0: For the better?
2: <laughs> like why why am I waking up with this tiara on my head and why am I, you know, doused in, in royalty? But then again, actually actually you know what? I hit that back <laughs> because God knows what you would do with my life. Um so <laughs>
0: Well, it could be a good, good time in your life, let's just say. I'd be really close to my beloved, your brother.
2: Yeah, you would be. Oh, yeah. You yeah. <laughs> have to talk about like uh, the Blade movie that, that he's been on about for a while.
0: <laughs> oh, sure. Well, who wouldn't be with Mahershala Ali being Blade?
2: I thought that was pretty good casting, but like when I got back, we stayed up until 2 a.m. talking about that because he's a gigantic What's the science played for? I mean, as as, as, uh, as um, so that, that you could, you could uh, not that it was he was angry, but it was it was a it was a very furtive discussion. But um, gosh, I mean, I mean, I, I thought it'd be funny changing bodies with you, but now it's really scary. Mm. Uh, mm, mm, I guess I'll do shag. I'll just
0: no, just... it's gotta be opposite gender.
2: Oh, it's gotta be opposite gender. Okay, you're right. Opposite gender. Mm, let's 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 keep shag. this shag.
0: Why would you change bodies since you already mentioned it? Why would you change bodies with shag?
2: Oh, he knows. Uh wait, no he doesn't. Uh, <laughs> opposite gender uh maybe Janelle Monáe.
0: Oh, okay.
2: I think she's super cool and and I think that uh I I don't know. I think I think her like dirty computer lifestyle would be a very awesome experience.
0: And you'd be BFFs with Valkyrie.
2: Maybe more than BFFs.
0: Yeah, it's unknown. I never really understand what where they uh where their relationship is they are human beings <laughs> they have, that's basically it yeah I don't think they like labels uh, well thank you for playing the foreign bodies
2: game thank you very much for uh, ch- oh, that was an interesting thought uh, a thought experiment so um, I'll have to play that with my uh, co-workers and see how long can last before I get fired oh my <laughs>
0: I, well I think it'd be fine
3: batgirl modeled after her idol batman holy
1: apparition no boy wonder i'm batgirl you are no longer alone caped crusaders it took me three years to track down the jade Gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it funny it only took me 10 minutes to figure out how to snatch it back no matter how you do it crime doesn't pay mm-hmm. girls
0: episode 178 for August MMXIX. the Oracle is brought to you by...
1: Hello everyone, I'm Maggie Schaefer-Haynes, the better half of Married with Comics and the Rod Pod. A year ago, my husband and I started our podcast as a way to share our love for comics, the myriad surrounding media, and each other. We've paraphrased panels, explained exposition, and commented on all of our favorite comics... But I'm a little bored with that, so I'm going to go hang with these gals over here for a minute.
4: Hey everybody, this is Barbara from A Gal Walks Into a Comic Shop. In our bi-weekly podcast, my co-host Bob and I cover comics new and old, present comic industry news, and occasionally strain our vocal cords to bring you classic comic reenactments. My favorite comics center on quirky characters and dark, introspective stories, topped with the dollop of the absurd... No bones about it, I love books that feature dogs too. So, for this roundtable discussion, I'll introduce you to Lucky the Pizza Dog and cover Matt Fraction's groundbreaking Hawkeye number eleven. Pizza is my business, published in 2012 by Marvel Comics. Hi there, folks. This is Elaine of Batman Books, The Dark Knight in prose, and of Gothamites Anonymous. The issue I'm bringing to the roundtable discussion will be the 2017 special Batman and Elmer Fudd because how could I not?
0: Sawate Omnes, Mihi Noman S. Stella, and I am the host of Batgirl the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast. When I heard about this particular roundtable, I thought, women and comics, what a delightfully novel idea. But then I had the problem of choosing which issue to bring to that roundtable. Is it going to be a shipperific issue?
1: I, I just died in your arms tonight, must have
5: been something you said.
0: Is it going to be one that showcases that Batman is, in fact, a jerk?
1: If you leave your towels on the bathroom floor, we start getting that mildew smell. Have a little common courtesy for the rest of us. The Bat-Signal.
0: Huh. But when it came down to it, I knew that I had to go with the deeply meaningful Batgirl Volume 3, Number 3, by Brian Q.
1: And I'll be shamelessly using this opportunity to finally get other women's opinions on Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, issue number 40, The Curse, a man's take on women's issues. Join us for Square Women Round Table, a vanity project of Married With Comics coming to all your podcatchers in September 2019.
0: The Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic bookstore. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Well, this is a an important... Episode mainly because I'm hitting some new ground in the 2000s. And I'm looking for a potential semi-regular co-host, and even more semi-regular than Tom Paneris, because I knew that that was going to be just a few episodes here and there. He only has one more time left with me on the show. And so I'm in the interviewing slash auditioning process, and, of course, the first person that I have to interview slash audition is this guy now he 's a little uh, he feels morally what's a what 's a good word he He feels offended that I even need to go through this process, but it 's pretty important because he would be on for quite a long time longer than Tom. So please welcome back to the show and and I need your help here cuz we're going to have to grade and, and value him uh, as many people do to other human beings after his performance to see if he deserves it. It's Donovan Morgan Grant.
2: My life is but to serve you, my liege.
0: <laughs> if only that were true, then the no man's land discussion would have gone completely different.
2: <laughs> see that, that that was that was that was then and this is now. We are in the future. As you said, we are in the the year 2000. This is the new millennium. The possibilities are endless in this future of almost 20 years ago.
0: I refreshed. I was in Spain, as you know, and I was telling my friend. Lots of Josh and Don stories had come up during our time together, and I, I told her all about that particular time and that we recorded and we lost all that data. And then I said, you know, we were worried what would happen because we had a good flow going, but it turned out to be okay and we cut some fat and still some of the hilarity ensued, especially with uh, the two-face. You know, I was (laughs) ill-prepared even the second time for it to happen. So
2: I remember your face.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was fun to record in person. I think that's something that you can't replicate.
2: I agree. was that the first time we've done the comic a comic uh review in person together? Might have been. No, that was fun. We should we should do it again in Kentucky. <laughs>
0: I know, yeah, it, yeah. Let's just all go over there. Well, this time we'd have to have, I guess, Josh. Though that would be once you add him into the mix, you
2: know, that'd be very distracting. He he always he never fails to like whenever Harry and I meet together in San Diego to record. He never fails to like crash the recording, like like not crash recording, like like the audio, but like show up out of nowhere to surprise us. And this time he like genuinely scared us. He like, just burst into the oh, into boy. the desk. Yes, uh, we have a good groove going, and um, who needs him? Who
0: needs hit me? I don't know. Well, he's with a uh, spoiler kid, so
2: more like spoiler teen, I think.
0: It's true. He is a teen now. I don't know. Does it change now? Do I need to change his super heroic identity?
2: I mean, he's still th- he's still thanking people for spoiling things. So uh, that is true. Uh, I, I, I don't I don't I don't know. Yeah, he's he's um, unless he like starts wearing an open vest, large collar, and calls himself I don't know spoiler wing or something like that. He's still spoiler mm-hmm.
0: kid. Okay. I guess we'll revisit once he's sweet 16 or something. I guess. (laughs) Well, actually, this summer, a lot of stuff happened. A lot of stuff happened to us individually as well as together but separately. I, of course, went to Europe, which I think I'll probably save that discussion for when I'm not with a co-host. I will say, though, that my shipping powers activated and my roommate told me I was insane but then the last night, I was totally justified and I was correct. I won't. I won't talk about that. But it was. It was overall just a, a great time, and you'll hear some fun audio with Ellie about the Peanut Tin incident of 2019 at the very end of the episode. And of course, you went to Sanio Diego Comic Con. I mean, overall, was it a pretty, pretty fulfilling experience?
2: Yeah, this one. I. I uh... I remember telling Josh when we were in Bowling Green for the pop culture conference that I enjoyed that more than the last few Comic-Cons. But this actually turned out to be a really great Comic-Con year, personally, um, better than the last uh, couple years. And I think that a lot of that was owed because it was kind of like productively – it was very productive. Um, There's a lot of positive networking going on. We met, some, we met up with some other press people and kind of became friends with them. I think we got everything that we, we we wanted to do. I personally had a great day on Saturday, meeting some people on my own. It was fun seeing Harry again. I, we we had a lot of fun with Eddie and Kristen because we've been missing them the last few years. I got to hang out with them, hang out with them on Monday because I actually left really late. And overall, um, yeah, no, I had a very good time. The worst bit about it was that you weren't there. I
0: know,
2: and and I mean it because like uh, as much as I know, it's, it's a very it's a very work-stress-related time period. But I think that like it always means something special. And every time – every time this is the second year we've gone without you. And each year there's like, oh, well, this thing is, that we used to go with Stella is now destroyed. Like uh, last year it was the Hard Rock Cafe and this year it was the Horton Mall area. It's <laughs> completely it, – it looked like the day after. And I'm like, who gets the memo that she's going to do this? So like, I'm wondering what's next to be – just like, I wonder if Comic-Con itself will be like – canceled if you if you end up going to i don't know uh thailand or something
0: thai interesting well i guess yeah I, I'm, I'm hoping that i'll come back i mean i had planned to this year but yeah i just got accepted to the that program and and thought yikes it's a little too close like i i got back basically and i would have had to have gotten on a plane and then gone over and i don't know what my body would have thought going from plus six to negative three <laughs> in the time zones but yeah mm-hmm. yeah because i miss you guys i mean that was the the biggest thing is not being with you Oh uh,
2: yeah well i mean the listeners don't want to hear us gush about each other um uh-huh. they want to hear us argue with each other so
0: That'll come soon enough for sure. Well, the other thing that happened, of course, is that you and I both got a love letter to Spider-Man, right? In the form of Spider-Man Far From Home.
2: Yeah, that that's a movie that came out. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we did want to talk a little bit about this. That was actually sarcastic. I don't actually think that was a bit of a love letter. What What do you think? I mean, you're probably gonna have you talked about this on a, a show or anything. I'm. We're not gonna take you know fifteen no. minutes on it. And but uh what were your thoughts on this? Since we have this <laughs> strong connection to Spider Man and have talked about it on other, you know, on this show in other capacities, we of course right. have to bring it up.
2: Well, it was no Spider Man PS4 game. Um, <laughs> I, you know, you know, I don't think I have talked about it on the podcast. And it should be noted that, like, as of today, I think it's actually broke yesterday. It is the highest grossing Spider-Man film because it's hit over a billion dollars. That is three Marvel movies in a row that have hit a billion dollars. This, this is insane. It was okay, honestly. Uh, it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good movie. It's fine. Uh, Tom Holland is good. I really like him. I like him in the role, and I really like Zendaya just as a, a, a celebrity. Um, I thought Mysterio was very good. I think that he's actually one of the better realized Spider-Man villains in a very long time. Once, oh, he's a villain spoiler. But once, you know, once the second act happens. But honestly, at the same time, I'm a very—I recognize how picky I am in terms of certain characters, like Batman and Spider-Man. And I was—I was mostly annoyed watching it. It's the, this isn't an offensive movie. I don't want to get on this whole big thing and talking about like this is why everyone should hate it, but. I thought it was very, I thought it was very shallow. I don't think the movie is nearly as sincere as it thinks it's being. A lot of it is because it's, it's, it's drenched with humor, and it's not so much the presence of humor that bothers me because Spider-Man is a very funny character, but the humor itself I didn't find very funny. It was a lot of like people walking into rooms being very awkward going, oh, oh, what, I, oh, what? And, and like that, that happened <laughs> like 20 times.:
0: It's like a Josh impression.
2: <laughs> well i can get a josh impression you know it's just like like the whole thing with like the drone and the in the in the bus um i liked when oh, he yeah. actually smacked that flash but like that's not like a spider-man thing it's like whoa you know and like i think a lot of people appreciate that that it showed the stress between his peter parker life and spider-man life in this but that doesn't really i don't know i thought that both previous continuities did that more effectively, or in this one, oh, all he has to do is you know call Happy Hogan, and he can get some Iron Man technology to fix the problem. And it was kind of cool seeing him build his own stuff because he's been doing that lately in the comics. I do think the movie gets better in the second half, but really, I really wasn't feeling it. And it's just, I think it's just down to this version of the character. Um, I thought his best iteration was in Civil War, where he was mostly divorced from a lot of that, but he is so wedded to the MCU framework in regards to kind of catering towards Iron Man Captain America that it doesn't really register to me as a Spider-Man story. It registered to me as like a Marvel Cinematic Universe story. Oh, I guess it's a Spider-Man. And I like the mid-credit sequence, but ultimately this is not one of my favorite Spider-Man movies, but I don't want to I don't want to depress people who love this film. It's I, I would never say it's it's, it's even close to being the best Spider-Man film because that's under the Spider-Verse, but I can't say it's a bad movie either because um there's this it's entertaining. But what did you think because this is your show? <laughs>
0: Well, I did have a question. May I ask a question about your beloved? My girlfriend. <laughs> yes. Yes. Did she? At, now I'm assuming that she's like not as well versed in Spider-Man lore as you and I might be. Yeah. Is that true? Is that a true assumption?
2: Well, well, not, yeah. Not only that, but like even with all the Marvel heroes, she has not seen all the Spider-Man films, like any of them, or or she's seen very few of them. So like Spider-Man's a character that she's the least familiar with.
0: Okay. So how did how did she sort of coming from a layman's perspective, what did she think about the film?
2: She didn't like it either. Oh, because, interesting. Because she and this is something that I think is is rather inarguable. This is the fifth movie we're seeing with Tom Holland between like, you know, Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame, and Homecoming and uh at this film. Like and she's has the same thing. Why she's like why do we have to be told that Spider mans not ready. He's you know he's not a fully fleshed out hero yet. That he has to like work his way up to like being worthwhile. And that really and there really is the agenda that's being pushed by these films that like he has to get to a certain point to be as good as the other heroes. When I'm sorry, but like Spider Man has always been the most compelling Marvel hero to me, and I'm biased saying that. But like I think he's way more interesting than 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 Tony Stark. I think he always has been. And it feels like a popularity contest that we're being kind of, like, presented with from the Marvel films. And between that and, like, the awkward humor, like, she, I, I at some point I, I looked over her and she was really not having this. I don't know if she disliked this as much as she disliked Venom. <laughs> but she's she's not a hater because she really did love um, Spider-Verse. Like, that whole scene with, like, near the end with Peter and Mary Jane where he's, like, talking about bread. She, she could not stop laughing. <laughs> but, like... We were kind of on the same page, it's, it's that like this 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 film was just kind of annoying to watch at times, and uh, well, the next day I think was um the Fourth of July, and she said that like in between that and uh, when we met up again, she watched the first Raimi film, and she understood who J K Simmons was, and she she liked that better because she thought that was just a lot more earnest and kind of like believable. It it was less like awkward, and yeah, I, I just I just think that like. The Marvel films sometimes just throw out humor as a desperation because they don't know how else to keep the audience's attention, and that's that is uh, in bad faith towards the service of the characters at times. So yeah, no, we were on the same page. We we both we both didn't care for the film, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I I will say about the Into the Spider Verse that the time that I couldn't stop laughing was the fact that the one Spider-Man was wearing sweatpants the entire time.
2: There were a lot of it cosplayers just, of, uh, of, of that at Comic-Con. Oh, gosh. It was
0: just so absurd. And he's, like, standing there and, like, ah, uh, it was – I just couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> yeah, so, man, we came off of a really good Spider-Man year, I feel. We had <laughs> this wonderful game that – you know for quote unquote video game which everyone's you know video games was so well done it 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 was more like you were reading the comics you were watching a film it had that cinematic experience it really drew you in with its tough you know topics of family and and relationships and and mentorship and things like that and yes. and whew. and then we had into the spider verse Which again, you know, still has some humor attached, but has some really deep messages, is exploring a character that we've not explored before, has family issues, gets to bring in other characters that we've not seen on the screen before. And I think that was a true love letter to the fans and and Spider-Man history and just seeing how well done that was. And of course, it, it rightly won the Oscar and we come to this, we come to this and I will say like I had fun. I think there were some moments that my nephew was laughing that I necessarily wasn't laughing. And I was between my nephew and my mom. And I feel like my mom didn't necessarily laugh as much either. And my fundamental problem, well, I will say, I'll start with the positives first, that I love Mysterio. He's one Venom's my, my top Spider-Man villain, but Mysterio, <laughs> I've always thought is just, he's like really up there for me. And watching my favorite scene, I think, of the whole film is when Spider-Man goes to that building to, as far as he knows, talk to Nick Fury and Maria Hill, Mm -hmm. and then that's the first time that really you see Mysterio's quote-unquote power unleashed with all the illusions and everything, and I thought that that was really well done and really got what and who Mysterio is, and I felt, I was almost getting nostalgic and flashing back to the 1990s Spider-Man animated series and everything, I just thought that was really well done. But my main issue, which has been the main issue with this iteration of Spider-Man... Is the absence of Uncle Ben, mhm? It's not talked about. And in lieu of that, we're putting these father figures in there to act as mentors to him. And so Tony Stark was a huge thing. I mean, it's all about how do I live up to Tony Stark? People are asking him, are you the no, you, the new Iron Man? All of that stuff, which, you know, I guess you can see we, we do have to visit what is a Marvel Universe now without Tony Stark. But then the villain turns out to be not a villain for Spider-Man, really. It was a villain for Tony Stark. He was just using the kid to get back at him, and I thought this isn't even Spider Man's film. So that was that's fundamentally the the main issue that I have with this particular series. And I think back to you know I've been doing a read through. I've been off it for a couple years now of the old Spider Man, but Spider Man doesn't need anybody else necessarily. I remember him going to Fantastic Four and then like leaving, really angry and like I don't even need you, right. which is one of the reasons why i really liked spider-man not that he necessarily couldn't work with anyone because as we can see he can but just that he's his own self-made hero and he doesn't need anyone else to give him approval and i think that's what your girlfriend was getting at as well and yeah he's got to like work up to it and you said about the tech and and getting to see him do that and we got to see it a little bit but he's also using tony's invention to make a new suit from scratch and you kind of want him to you know do something else so it's just in my opinion it's not it's not my spider-man which sounds really weird not my president it's not my <laughs> <Spider-Man>. <laughs> it's not my spider-man spider-man and, love it or leave it i know and i honestly think that it's just not the spider-man that i think die hard you know comic fans would I don't know. I, I mean maybe are, – are we being snobs in saying that? That I just feel like comic to film. Like this is kind of someone unrecognizable.
2: Well, this is – I want to be fully aware of the the breadth of the conversation with this version of Spider-Man because a lot of people really love this. I, um, I get mad when people – I remember some person said at Homecoming that like the MC version of Spider-Man is the definitive – interesting and steve dicko intended a kid who wanted to be avenger and i remember replying everything you just said was wrong because peter not only of course he wanted to be avenger initially but like he constantly rejects them yeah. you know even when he's a teenager um he outdoes them often and i'm not usually on the on the whole spider-man can beat everybody kick but there are times where he really is like his own man and it's moments like like, it's, like the reason why i come best in civil war is because like when Tony's meeting him in his room and says, you know, you run around in a onesie, and Tom Holland kind of snaps back, it's not a onesie. Like, kind of, like, giving back to him, and that, to me, is a very Peter Parker thing. And I think the, the, the Tony Stark implementation in terms of, like, his upbringing as a superhero makes logical sense. But it, there comes a point now where, like, it, it becomes – I remember talking – I think I was actually messaging Brad on Facebook we were talking about it, and I was actually being very, fairly crude with, like, how much they service Tony Stark's name in this film because I understand – you know, he saved the universe and all that kind of stuff, and he made this big sacrifice. Spoilers. So I, 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 get it to a certain degree, but like, there are times when it's it it just it just feels like like there's it feels like people are are being given Spider Man as a character to write in lo- You know, after all the Marvel films, as opposed to this is who Spider Man is, and now come up with a story with him. And I don't I don't want to like presume John Watson's character or the writers or whatever, but it doesn't. I don't know. It's it's like it, it feels. Spider-Man is a very has a, has a very recognizable world, and this feels so apart from that. Now, granted, they're doing something that's new, but it's it pushes him so far into a certain direction that it, it's hard to recognize, and because it's hard to recognize, it's hard to kind of you know uh, align with expectations. And again, everyone has an individual taste. That's that's fine. Um, there's there are parts about this version I like, and I never blame Tom Holland, but I don't like the i i'm not saying that like there needs to be a whole paragraph monologue about uncle ben either i thought spider-verse mentioned him appropriately you know when um miles's uncle dies peter brings up his uncle ben like that would make sense um you know they, they mentioned it at the beginning but they don't they don't make a big deal out of it and i feel that like this this need to kind of stay away from him feels like a concern that's that's not warranted and that to me is part of the what I imagine to be a misunderstanding of the character, and I wish people wouldn't misunderstand, a fairly easy-to-read character in Spider-Man.
0: It's it's so part of who he is. I mean, you can skip the origin story, but I think you... The fact that they don't even mention him, I think is just really... It's a travesty.
2: I think that that's, that's just completely arrogant, because it feels like they don't want to get into... Yeah, Spider-Man is a very fun, kid-friendly character, so they don't want to bog you down with a lot of pathos. But he's a character who began in violence. Like, you can't... You cannot just not have the power responsibility theme in Spider-Man. I don't care how tired you are of it. That doesn't mean you have to, like, you know, implement it every single time. But you can't outright ignore it. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that, like, you know, he needs to, like, wear an Uncle Ben shirt every day. But at the same time, like, there are moments where he should have mentioned him, I think. Like in like, like in the, um, the lifting scene in Homecoming and parts in, in this movie. And it just – and it's always Tony Stark. And it's like, how well did he really know Tony Stark? So – I don't know. As I'm talking about more, it bothers me more. I don't want to get too negative, but like... (laughs) I have very real problems with this and I feel that like I'm entitled to them but people are also entitled to like the movie as well so
0: of course yeah we don't We're. I don't think you and I are the people that are like you should not I don't think I've ever done it even with you know the runs that I've not liked I say like I don't understand why you like it yeah. but you know it, everyone is of course entitled to, to liking their own things and you know I like things that people don't like like Batman and Robin that's my favorite Batman film I like Suicide Squad that movie so I'm on always on that other side, so that's fine. I do you think that if we get back to him actually being sort of a hometown Spider-Man, maybe we'll get back to formula as you know, or Norman Osborn back to formula. Do you think it'll maybe be better? Because even he says, you know, I'm just you know your friendly neighborhood, but we've not really seen that. He's been he's been taken out and, and dealing with these bigger things and sure in the first one it's a little bit friendly neighborhood but do you think maybe if we get back to that it'll it'll feel better and and feel more like the spider man we love
2: I don't know because everything are, are they gonna do him down and says like oh man it's pay spot Pete you're not experienced enough to fight him Peter Parker and it's, it's like <laughs> are, are we going to be getting that like because spider-man is a superhero like he yeah. star- he started out you know kind of grounded but he and the in Marvel chrono- chronology, he appeared well before most of the MCU heroes. He appeared before Falcon. He appeared before Ant Man. He appeared before like 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 uh. So this idea that he's like a hero in training or a junior hero or whatever, I think, kind of ran out at the end of Homecoming. And I I, I don't know like like it's, they set him up on a specific storyline with with the next one. So it, I don't know if it will be a case of him fighting like superheroes left, right, and center, or I'm sorry, supervillains left, right, and center. But like I mean. Maybe they'll do Sinister Six. Um, there's actually like, uh, there is genuinely uh, has been revealed to be if you look when when he's at the airport thought May at the end, you can see Jake Gyllenhaal um, walk by like that's literally him. So there's an implication that 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 Quentin Beck is still alive. You mm-hmm. probably, probably do spoiler attacks for this episode. <laughs> so they could do Sinister Six.
0: They were leading into it after at the end of Homecoming too because Vulture was in there and you saw Scorpion was in. Right. Uh, on the raft or wherever they were.
2: I think the only other only other major villain that that was part of the Sinister Six that they've not done into film is Craven the Hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I think that would be a, good, a Sinister Six would be a good way to go, and really make Spider Man his own character. As long as the Sinister Six aren't trying to go back in time and bring back Tony Stark so they can get revenge on him, because that would that would be as stupid as it sounds.
0: I wish you know, as a shipper, of course, and and Peter Parker and Mary Jane are. It's up there for, you know, top couple there. I mean, they're definitely top five. I felt like this was a very quick and rushed little romance. And I think maybe I felt that way because – It seemed like maybe a lot happened off panel land. You know, everyone came back after the five years or, you know, the disappeared came back and then all of a sudden he has feelings for her. And then, of course, you know, they get together at the end, which is great. But now that this has been revealed at the end that now everyone potentially knows his identity, I feel like the obvious thing is for him and Mary Jane to break up. So, you know, that was a little frustrating because I just felt like, oh, well, that's going to happen. I, did you have any thoughts about how they did that relationship?
2: Well, she's not Mary Jane. She's MJ. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, I agree. Cause, like, Thank you. I mean, because like, like in the last movie, like she was kind of a cameo and he barely seemed to acknowledge her. And this one right. it's like, I got to tell her how I feel. And I'm like, what? What? Like I get that he that he he goes from girl to girl, but like genuinely, she wasn't like his friend. And then this one, it's like we've been leading all up to this, so that, that it was rushed. It, it clinically, it was rushed. I feel that like it, MJ, you know, the, Zendaya's character is also a character who's written very one dimensionally. Like she feels like she feels like a teenager that forty year old men would kind of conjure up and not really a real person, sure. and i think zendaya is great i still maintain that zendaya is actually the best cast person for a mary jane character um in terms of like like she's real mary jane in real life so they could have done a thing where like or they might still do a thing where she acts a certain way to to give herself some sort of relief off of like you know some sort of troubled home life or something like that then they're, they're probably going to do that though but like it, this, i don't know this this is sort of like a very uh lazily written romance that like the only reason you kind of want to see them together is because Tom Holland and Zendaya are such good friends and you kind of, and a lot of people ship them in real life, but it was just, I don't in know. Real life. It, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was just, I don't know, kind of a, a biscuit throw more than anything else. I, I like, I like those two characters because I like those two people more than the writing ever really made me care about them.
0: Mm. Final question. what do you think about Ned and Betty?
2: Uh, I'm glad that he was in the movie less uh because i could not i can't stand that guy
0: interesting
2: i'm um, really the character more than like john batalon but like um uh i thought i, I knew they were gonna break up by the end because it was so fleeting but it was amusing to see ned and betty get together and film i know josh said that he felt very seen while watching the movie i can't stand though the fact that like the actress they picked for betty brant is so indistinct Like she looks like she could have been any other character she she, she could be like carly cooper sissy ironwood anybody because betty Brandt has a very like distinctive look and they're like, nope, that's too goofy for us, I guess. Um, <laughs> it was amusing. I, I I just mainly enjoyed the fact that he was not in the movie as much because I – if you watch the Enter the Spider-Verse uh, Blu-ray edition, they show you an entirely alternate original story that they were coming up with for years ago where Gonky was going to be like, like how he is with Miles in the comics. And they had to take him out because Marvel snatched him up. Um mm-hmm. uh, so I just think that the whole thing is is just a cluster, but you know it it was fine. Like there are there are kind of deep cut references. Like when, they're in Germany, right? And one of the license plates is the I think it's something like the issue where like uh, Ned Leeds was revealed to be the Hobgoblin because uh, Ned Leeds was killed in Germany, and it's like well that's that's a very very and like Aunt May's license plate is AF fifteen like sixty two or something. So like. There are people who are, you know, there are either people like call up Dan Slot on the phone and ask for references, or they know what they're, what you know, what they're doing in terms of like uh, Easter eggs. But it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's. It's, it's,
0: it's not translating.
2: Yeah, it, it's, 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 it's. Well, also not only that, even if you catch it, that doesn't necessarily make the, the viewing experience all that better. Oh sure. It's not yeah. like in made Spider-Man Two where like the clock tower where Gwen dies was literally at one twenty-one. That's actually very that that actually means something, as opposed to like. I don't know, uh, she mentioned Uncle Arthur and this kind of thing. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. It was, it was, it was fine. But, like, again, Ned and Betty, what did you think about them?
0: <laughs> I just thought, it was, I mean, I thought about Josh, I think, the entire time I was watching it. And I think I, I whispered to my mom, like, this is actually, you know, they were married at one point. And, but, it, you know, it's a completely different Ned than what happened in the comics. Uh, the girl was in the, I I can't ever remember the title of the episodes, but the newest season of Black Mirror she's in the episode with Miley Cyrus.
2: Oh, so, okay. Watch that. Yeah.
0: But uh yeah, I get what you're saying there. I can only I mean, I don't know what their plans are for this series. Like I wonder if there's going to be some sort of are we just going to watch these kids grow up and that'll be that's what'll happen? I don't know. But yeah, it would be interesting to see if they would go the route of sort of classic Betty or they just they're sticking, they're sticking with what they're doing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly.
0: Who knows? Well, yeah, you know, this is just Donovan and my opinions on it. So please, you know, have your own. If you have any uh, comments or complaints about what Donovan has said, you can, of course, email him or you can email answers me.
2: answers right at gmail.com.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, or you can email me and I'll forward it to him. The final thing I wanted to talk about, of course, before is the last exciting thing that happened, which... I could probably talk about for a half an hour on my own and I told I warned Donovan about this. I won't talk about for a half an hour. I warned him, I said just be patient. But the USA women's national team won the FIFA World Cup twenty nineteen, which was super exciting. I was following it all the way up and then I was unable to watch it on the Eng- the semifinals with England because I went to go see Spider-Man, which is funny. I should have better planned the times. And then I was in Italy during the finals, and I was trying to get tech all queued up. I had – like there was a huge screen in the monastery, and I was like getting it all ready, and I couldn't do it. It just did not work, which I think was probably the function of my subscription. didn't really translate to international subscriptions. So I couldn't watch it. And then I just decided the next day, I was going to watch a little YouTube recap. And so I'm in the middle of a two minute YouTube re- recap. It's still nil nil 60 minutes, 60 seconds into the recap. And one of the leaders go, Are you happy they won? And I was like, Oh, my gosh. And everyone sort of yelled at him because I hadn't known. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I told him that I normally hold grudges against people. But since he was, that, he was in a, a recent acquaintance I wouldn't hold it against him, but this time you know the, the, this was just exciting it was full of drama in the sense of just really good gameplay and and I was getting nervous at certain things during the the England match everyone was freaking out because Megan rapino was not on the starting lineup she wasn't even working out and Jill Ellis that the manager I, ie the head coach is not answering questions but then you've got someone who comes in and is able to squash it right away because she she does a header now I've forgotten her name but she does as a header and, and like, oh well I guess it's okay that uh what my gosh, that's terrible. But anyway, so all of this stuff, you know, I didn't have as much trust in the goalkeeper. Then the goalkeeper has this amazing save against a PK and just wonderful stuff. But then on the other side people are, you know, outcries against some of these ladies because number one, Megan Rapino, she doesn't sing during the national anthem. Which is in support of Colin Kaepernick and, and of course, what he does, and which is, of course, in in support of police brutality, I guess I could say, in a broader sense. And you've got uh, an an interview going back a couple months that was just dredged up. which was Megan saying that she wasn't going to the effing White House. And uh, then there, was some <laughs> sort of, there was a Twitter war and, you know, Donald J came on and everything. And then they, you know, in the qualifying, they won 13-0 against Thailand. And they're like, that was excessive. Why are you doing that? They were called arrogant. All of this stuff, you know, is coming out against these women. Meanwhile, they're just cool as cucumbers. And the reason why I really love this team is that, I think other teams are, are very much made up of individual members. You don't even really get to see how they interact with each other. I think they just go on the field and they work together as a unit. But you know, are they a family? But this team is so tight that I feel like it is a family unit. And, and just looking at their Instagram stories and everything, just how much they really enjoy each other, and they're just so skilled ball players. And the thirteen zero, you know. At, Yes, that was big. There was an eleven-zero deficit with Germany a couple World Cups ago. But at the same time, if you respect your opponent, you're also not going to play keep away and just pass the ball around on the field because that would be completely terrible. And you're going to give them your all. I know that the other thing was, of course, the celebration. And then you've got these women just fighting for, for equal pay and, and just really... You know, I just think that it's an amazing team. And, and again, I could talk about lots of social issues. I, I think that's another thing is just that these women are really at the forefront of not only sports, but they're they're pushing boundaries, they're breaking glass ceilings, and, and they've got they're social justice warriors, as uh, Josh <laughs> likes to say, you know.
5: But who so, do they think they are?
0: <laughs> I know. Yeah, you kind of wonder, Kristen Press is what I was thinking of, uh, you know some people, I, I read an article and it was like, the title of it was Why I Didn't Want the U.S. to Win. And so I'm reading this hate article and I thought, this sounds like a is man. It,
2: is it from Russia? And I
0: read the whole thing and then I got down and I was like, yeah, it certainly was. And so, you know, it's uh, I've heard some things that this team has brought the nation together, others that we were rooting for them to lose. Oh. It's it's kind of, But I, I think the excitement of, of having a team, because the men are pretty garbage, they didn't even make qualifying last <laughs> the world cup last summer they didn't even make qualifying come on Uh, the first time since like 1986 so we had something to to really root for and when they're when it's on the national stage i I think you really gather around these people so i was just super excited about uh the fifa world cup and and the ladies winning so
2: awesome i wasn't i was really only aware when megan uh, rapino is that you pronounce it
0: yeah yep
2: it's like making headlines because about that that white house quote and stuff like that. And I remember seeing someone on Twitter saying, I look, I just think that they're being arrogant, which is, which is a classic misogynist thing to say. It's not like they're doing like like Jim Brown dances at the at 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 the end goal or whatever. <laughs> or carrying around like Drake does at you know at the NBA playoffs. now I, I remember like Megan Rapino, you know, who is this person? And I saw this purple haired woman looking flex as hell. Just like running around, I'm like she looks like a combo character, <laughs> in like in like, a, in like a good way. She looks like a gym yeah, she um, Could be no, but it was, I'm, I'm I'm happy for them. Uh, I'm not a sports fan generally, so I'm not really into uh, football. Yeah. Uh, but I'm happy that they won, and I'm happy that like uh, uh, again, you know, you're seeing people defy expectations in ways in which people always knew could be defied, but we're we're seeing it and seeing is is believing rather than being told it. So um, yeah, take that, men. Role. I know.
0: Yeah, and I think they're being respected and seen as athletes rather than having the the moniker female attached to it because I, I think that they're just great period athletes. So – yeah, I'm excited. Well, I guess we'll see what happens. I, I ordered a uh, championship shirt, but it is yet to arrive, which I'm disappointed about. But I'll get that soon. Well, that's enough preliminary chit-chat. That's when we were friendly, and now we got to get down to brass tacks.
2: Are, we really so are you going are you, are you to break my heart in this episode? Are you going to say like <laughs> this is the worst crap I've ever read in my 20 20- or 30 plus years of life?
0: There's only one issue that there we're in the danger zone with the issue well
1: there's two, one and two,
2: <laughs> there are two issues would you say you keep on upping the number <laughs> only one, well two
0: as i'm looking at my fingers <sighs> only two issues that were in the danger zone one of breaking your heart and the other one of course of having an argument that might be extreme I'm sure you know which one that is. But before we get into that, of course, Donovan and I will still be we'll still be pals. We'll survive this. I hope the reason so. why Donovan <laughs> The reason why Donovan's on here, of course, is that I am finally delving into Cassandra Kane, like in a really pure manner. Just finally
5: because,
0: I know. I guess it's taken a long time. I mean, I guess technically I started with Cassandra Kane. Because everyone – when the Brian Q. Miller stuff was coming out, she was wearing – Steph was wearing that particular suit. and I think she was in issue one and mm-hmm. there was that whole thing about who is it under there. So I'm just getting back to where I started I suppose. Maybe I'll end after all of this.
2: this. Yeah, I was but wondering yeah. like, like, like once you hit Stephanie's series, like what do you do?
0: <laughs> I guess I stop or, or I just have half the size of an episode and just do new stuff. Who knows? You blow it up. I guess so. Uh, you blow it up. yes. Yes, that's what I'll do. So we're going to do some Cass Cain issues, and this is where the audition process, I'll be weighing it very seriously to see how well he does. And then I'll pull Shag on, he's my second interviewee, and see how he does with Cass Kane. Don't
4: and- you dare! <laughs> we'll go
0: from there. So Don has agreed, of course, to recap one through three. But before that, we actually have a Gotham City Secret Files that popped up and this is gotham city secret files number one and there were as you probably are aware with with secret files they're oversized issues and they usually have profiles with them and little interstitial stories there's really only i would say two stories in here maybe two and a half yeah but we're only going to cover one Mm. which was the main one, which is good because it's Cass, of course. I'll talk about the other two, but really for our purposes, I I think it's not really necessary to go into much about this. So, okay. So this issue, the cover date was April 2000. And we're going to start with Night Games, which is the story that we'll actually look at in its entirety, writer Scott Peterson, penciler Paul Ryan, Inger Walden Wong, and colorist Laverne Kinzierski. Catwoman comes across Batgirl, aka Cassandra Kane, in an alleyway, taking down some thugs, and she is impressed. She can tell that Batgirl doesn't recognize Catwoman and takes her out on a mission to follow a man, which quickly escalates into one of those annoying missions in video games where you have to protect someone as they walk straight into to danger know. You know what i'm talking about there
5: yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: elsewhere batman checks in with oracle to see if backroll is back yet but oracle isn't concerned they go through a checklist of cass's attributes and both decide that she can understand people better than anyone which is interesting back with catwoman and backroll the man arrives at cathedral square and hands over blueprints for every major new building in gotham to penguin Batgirl fights off the thugs while Catwoman burns the blueprints because she wants a sporting chance to break into the buildings and also wanted an audience for tonight's escapades. Catwoman takes her leave, but she plans on following Batgirl to get some information on her, but Batgirl catches her. She then arrives back at the clock tower and makes it seem, and this seems like her standard action because it happens in the next issues as well she just makes it seem like the night was pretty boring to oracle so nothing happened there
5: mm-hmm.
0: okay so short little story here what do you, i've got some questions what do you think are catwoman's motivations for getting Backroll to go with her on this particular mission
2: i think there's an element of back catwoman uh that we see around this era a little bit before and a little bit after who she as much as Selena Kyle is a very like independent character, she entertains herself by kind of interacting with the Bat family from time to time and she genuinely is interested in what they would say to Batman. Um I know it happens uh in Nightwing number fifty. I believe it's happened uh well during Contagion, where she where she was in that snow costume with Tim Drake. <laughs> <laughs> um that like was a little slug of the toy. I, th- I don't know if she are interested with spoiler, but like it's it's kind of a uh, every now and then that that kind of happens, and I think that okay well, this looks like a new Batgirl um and I and I can tell that she does she's very new she doesn't know who I am so let me kind of make a certain impression and I'm not saying that she's trying to impress them or whatever but she's just trying to just size them up and Selena just kind of gets her kicks that way so that's that's what I think what about what do you think. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I wondered about this. It it seems like something that Selena does consistently do. It's almost like she's hazing each member of the Bat family. Like, (laughs) you're new. You should come along with me for a while. And I think she can only do that outright, like at the very beginning when she meets them, because afterwards, probably, you know, if they report to Papa, then Papa is going to say, you know, you need to stay away from Catwoman. She's dangerous. So she only has a little bit of time to do that. I, I remember that episode of, I think, the new Batman Adventures where she has a team up with Nightwing and – am I re- recalling correctly? And, yes. And Nightwing, you know – kind of almost wants to, yeah, do it in – I don't – because Batman doesn't like it, that kind of thing. And <laughs> yeah. So it just – it reminds me of that. I also wonder, you know, if – potentially you know she might be she's a fun time gal but I feel like sometimes that can get old and I, I wonder if there is maybe a loneliness factor and it is fun to have a little sidekick for a little bit and it seems like they're doing good you know superficially because they are protecting that guy and then oh you find out that she actually burned those blueprints and it seems okay but actually she just wants the challenge so it seems right up her alley so yeah it's an it's an interesting one and I think Cass. Or this backroll at least, is such an enigma that it, it's a way also, just like Cass uses body language to figure people out, I think Catwoman can tell from a mission about a particular person as well because she seems pretty intuitive. So mm-hmm. uh, do you think Cass really doesn't know who Catwoman is from the outset? This is, of course, from the whole thing is narrated from – Catwoman's point of view, and she says, "Oh, I don't think she knows who it is." And you know, this will be fun. But what do you think? Since we know cats pretty well, do you think this is accurate?
2: Like when you when you say no, she is like, like, do you think she would see? Oh, this person is Selena Kyle. This is a, or do you like like no? The Catwoman in Gotham City is is a notorious jewel thief, like that. Mm,
0: or maybe in between that, I don't know if necessarily you're a hero, but like I, I can see that maybe something is off. Like reading her body language. Because why else would she know that she was about to follow her like that sort of thing? She knew she she was up to no good.
2: Um, I don't really, to be honest. I don't. I'm not sure what Cass's read of Catwoman is in this issue, but I do think that it, it's very basically, you know, she she knows that like, is ultimately a good person, which is why she goes with her. Otherwise, like like she would like fight her. But she also knows that like Selina is not the kind. She, I think she's demonstrated that Selena is is kind of the kind to kind of do follow her own goals, and so. And also, like she, she can kind of, you know, she was taught, she was trained in tracking people, like man hunting. So she can kind of see. She, I think, I think she can kind of like predict that Selene was going to try to tag her just for a little bit, um, and knew that she couldn't, not do that. I, I, but I'm not sure. I, I think she generally has. This is the first time she's being made aware of Catwoman. We see later on in her series, like in like issue six or seven, uh, there's a quick scene of Oracle saying, "Okay, this is who this person is. This is who this person is." So like, I don't think she's been given like the alphabet uh introductory pamphlet of like you know heroes and villains in gotham city yet
0: <laughs> yet yeah i'm sure it will happen but with, yeah with oracle's database you think that she oracle would have tutored her a little bit but and, and especially you know with her dealings in no man's land i i feel like you know it's not like selena gives off this bad vibe or energy but i, I feel like cassandra would know something maybe something a little bit but but not wholly about it. i mean i think she's interested enough to go along with her and she doesn't feel like she needs to take her down so i uh, those were the only two questions i had Do you have any thoughts on this one overall or other questions
2: uh this was co-written by kelly puckett who, who writes her series scott peterson came up with the idea of cassandra kane but like uh, puckett was really saw her through and i kind of consider them like like marv wolfman created tim drake but Chuck Dixon is really like like the person who, he's, he's like Tim Drake's father essentially. I kind of can see it here a little bit because we're seeing uh, one of my favorite you know recurring uh, choruses of, of Cassandra King Batgirl titles is the constant like you know while she's doing her thing, Batman and Oracle are, are talking about her almost like in a poochie way. It's like whenever Cassandra's not on screen, Batgirl and when, or Oracle are saying, "Where's Cassandra?" And I like that we're seeing that here. I mean, it's it's it's, it's a conversation I think we'll see in, again in the next issue, in the issue one. Yeah. It's, it's, it, I always find it very amusing because it kind of starts off the proto-metatextual parent thematic of the two characters. And, like, it's fun. This is a really – I think the colors in this comic book are fine, but, like, it's a little too bright in the Batcave. It's very multicolored. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, I, I thought this is a fine short issue. There was, it was inoffensive. I thought it was – I thought it was perfectly decent. Nothing really nothing really outstanding, but nothing nothing to have a problem with either.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's also a lighter tone discussion between babs and batman whereas i think it'll get a little heavier later on with, with these issues that we will soon do yeah. and i like that i feel like oracle you know i'm always going to be on the side of oracle but i feel like she understands cass a little bit more Maybe because you know she makes that comment of course you know she's 17 but also the fact that cass has been surviving on the street during No Man's Land, I think Oracle understands how capable she is more so than Batman, who's really just met her and accepted her into the family. So I, I do think that that's a, a good conversation, and
2: it's written well. But
0: yeah, it's fun. I, I like little team ups, and, and I think it was fun to add Catwoman in there.
2: We can talk so. about that though. Like, 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 who knows her better, Oracle, or ba- That's actually a that's actually a, a conversation we can get into.
0: Uh, I'll be glad to have that
2: conversation <laughs> put that with down.
0: you i'll be glad to have that with you well the other one that let's see here. was it was a shorter one yes of course we need to i've got to scroll through all of these <laughs> um, who's who's and stuff so this is called robin and oracle and it's tim drake robin writer chuck dixon artist jackson Geis. and i did look that up colorist gloria vasquez while Robin sits in Babs' chair eating pizza, Babs finishes rewiring the clock tower, which apparently took 200 miles of cable. Everything gets connected, and we get to see that Babs keeps track of both Dick and Joker, so on opposite sides there. Robin mentions some files that she has that he's interested in. He taps into the JLA, and one and then a giant john jones head pops up basically and asks like who who are you and oracle says uh you know nothing nothing's off here and but tim's a little startled so it's it's a fun little A fun little one. I I like it just because I I think Tim and Oracle have this relationship that is unique to the Batman family. I think this is true with all of Oracle's relationship with the different members. But this one, I think, is of mutual respect. And even though he's years younger than her, obviously there's no romance going on. But I, I think they're practically equal uh, technology, savvy-wise, intelligence-wise. I think that they just regard and and respect each other in that way. And so I think that's fun that he was there to help her. And, uh, yeah, then you get to see the the Grayson cam, of course, which he doesn't even ask any questions on, so good for you. And then you see, of course, you know, that Joker is also someone that is – Still important to her, and then the John Jones thing was just funny, just because I think Tim got really excited to see some JLA files, and then John pops in and everything, so you can still see that while it's Oracle friendly neighborhood Oracle that she still is tapped into the JLA, so you still see how important she is. So this was fun for being what three pages?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's a it's a it's a almost like a news strip kind of.
0: You have any thoughts?
2: No, I like I like it too. This is the kind of story that that Dixon does. He. Just writes very character-focused pieces. There's no crime going on. I mean, I don't even know why Tim's dressed up. I just probably just tell us that it's, <laughs> that he's Robin.
0: He probably thinks she doesn't know, but she probably does.
2: Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I I I, I don't know when she learns he's, he's Tim Drake. Does he call him Tim in this story? Don't no, she calls him Robin? I guess. Yeah. But I, I I like the furthering of their relationship. We've talked about their relationship since like the the Robin comics were. Um, he was fighting like Maxie Zeus. And that's been kind of developing since. And I don't, I don't tend to see Barbara and Tim's relationship as like familial as I do him and Dick. Like him and Dick are brothers. I don't necessarily liken their relationship to a a older sister younger brother thing as immediately. I mean, I'm I'm not saying it can't be that, but they they have a very friendly relationship together that um, I think is always done. You know, is always kind of centered by their, you know, their technological acumen Mm
5: -hmm. and.
2: I I do remember reading these these stories where he's hanging out with her in the clock tower and they're just kind of like they're just chilling. It's, it's like, oh, I'm not doing anything right now, you know. We want to eat pizza and, and talk computers and I think the artwork's really good. Uh I think it's funny like seeing like Oracle like, kind of wheel in saying, "No." Like, like <laughs> just, from outside the room. No, yeah. This is, this was fun. And again, like this is this is um a Chuck Dixon like just classic move of just having the characters exist in between the lines as it were and the Grayson cam is just like that, that looks like that's like right on the night wing that's just that's just classic uh chuck dixon barbara gordon i think
0: yeah absolutely yeah i would say that they're like close colleagues so you know friends in the workplace but not necessarily someone you'd go out and have fun with necessarily mm. kind of thing right. so i could see that well the last story uh we're not gonna talk about but i'll at least tell you about it it was called the lost pages skull doggery. writer brian k vaughn <laughs> penciler marcos martin inker mark pennington and colors tom McCraw. the skeleton impersonates joker riddler and freeze using their mo's to cause catastrophes that he hopes will look like criminal negligence caused by bruce wayne The end goal is to destroy Wayne. The skeleton is apparently someone who has been close to him for years. So it sets up a larger storyline. Who knows? So I went to figure out. I wondered who this person was and (laughs) whom it was revealed to be. So this is trivia from DC Wiki. I don't know if you know any of this. But it, it remains unknown as to this writing. Who knows? Whether the skeleton is male or female. So I guess we never were revealed. It was never revealed who this person was. In the narrative for Skullduggery, the skeleton claims it was easy for someone in my position, implying that he or she is someone well-known and well-respected in Gotham City to get hold of the patient records for the villains that he or she poses as in the story. The skeleton is also shown to have files for Toothpaste and Scarecrow. In his introduction for the graphic novel Batman False Faces, in which Skullduggery is published, Brian K. Vaughn said that he would maybe unmask the skeleton to, quote, the first person who finds the obscenely juvenile punchline that i hid somewhere in the story end quote at the time of writing it remains unclear as to whether the prize has ever been claimed
2: hmm.
0: so i guess we'll never know who the skeleton actually is
2: yeah i will read this the story uh, and I'm like, i don't I don't who is this and i I looked it up too and I'm like, it just this is the last time we ever see him which <laughs> 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 which is which is hilarious um oh, yeah. it's' it's Isn't an, it's, a, it's, an intri- it's an intriguing beguiling thing. I mean he basically cut, turns it into hush right' Because hush had the same memo or a similar Things like it yeah, a similar one. oh well, <laughs> what are you gonna do? I know there
0: are also in this issue is a recruitment poster with uh, the Kamish Gordon detective Montoya, and which I guess would be pre her uh Coming out of the closet, right? Still in that era, aren't we?
2: Oh, big time, yeah.
0: And Lieutenant Bullock. There's a Catwoman movie trailer, which was weird. An interview with Leslie Tompkins and Man on the Street. And, of course, several different profiles, a couple of which I had never heard of, so they were interesting. But that's basically – oh, oh, oh. There was something I wanted to say. Let me pull this little guy up. (laughs) I'm glad I made a note about it. I almost forgot. Let's see. Let me find – the huntress profile there she is the first one okay <laughs> it says
2: <and laughs> oh you're looked. excited
0: aren't you yeah i'm yeah i'm excited because i feel like i'm owed an apology aha, aha it says isolated and manipulated by the batman during the course of no man's land who wrote this What do you ha- what <laughs> What do you have to say for yourself, sir?
2: I think manipulated is is bull because, or sorry. Um because like uh she became she wore the back row costume on her own and he was like, Alright, yeah, you can help me. I don't think that he I mean, I know there was a whole I knew she would get mad at me and she's doing just what I say, but I don't remember that. I don't know. I'm sure Carolyn Coca can correct me like she like she <laughs> eating the in bowling. Ring.
0: Hashtag Carolyn knows. Okay, that's it. That's all I have.
2: Yeah, that, that is, now we're,
0: yeah, thank you. I know. So now we're going to get into the main event of oh. this episode, which is the introduction of Cassandra Kane to her very own series so don you take it away and i you know i like to do arcs obviously because if i did individual issues i'd i'd never finish this podcast and we're not really doing an arc once you read these three that they they're sort of working up to something you can tell there's a flow but they're just individuals so what we'll do in this case which is unusual for my show is that we'll do one issue at a time Mm -hmm. so there you go
2: and i'll these, these issues don't necessarily have titles, so I'll just, I'll just run through. For the, the, these three issues, these first three issues, Kelly Puckett, I think Scott Peterson may have co-written the first one, but it's generally written by Kelly Puckett, illustrated by Damien Scott, inked by Robert Campella, uh, colored by Jason Wright, lettered by John Costanza. Joe Illidge is, is the editor. Memory. A young girl finishes a rose, uh, petal, uh, a rose petal puzzle when uh, she's made a letter to mercenaries, and David Cain is setting up a, uh, a pro-grade camera for high-speed film. Uh, The mercenaries are challenged to attack the girl with a knife, and if they don't do so, the girl will cripple them, which she uh, summarily does. In the present, the young girl is Batgirl, training with Oracle, the original Batgirl, as she inputs into her databases. She writes down what she knows and doesn't know about the new Batgirl, about how she can barely know more than ten words, but she's been trained since the age of eight years old uh, in the deadly martial arts, but she doesn't kill. Uh, Memory. We cut to Vietnam where one of the mercenaries is beating up just some poor guy when he runs into the young girl again, threatens to kill her, but she runs away and he falls to his knees ashamed. Back in the present, we see a would-be rapist attack a young woman in an alley before he stopped by Batgirl and Batman. Batman shoves the man up to, to a brick wall and the young woman runs away just as just as the young girl did in Vietnam all those years ago. The next day, the the new Batgirl is with Oracle in the park, where Oracle is, tries to communicate with her, but forgets that she really can't do so well. The young girl is plagued with nightmares while she and Batman talk about her future. She's 17 years old, and yet she can understand people arguably more than normal people can, because of her skills in reading body language. The next night... Batman tests her metal and her fighting skills And believes that she's out of shape But he still manages to cough up some blood So I guess she punctured his lung and they both smile about that I don't know um, right outside, they... <laughs>
0: bonding experience.
2: I know, <laughs> two for flinching. Right outside, there's an armored truck robbery where a, a guard is killed and a man is reciting the uh, a serenity prayer before Batgirl confronts him. It's the same mercenary as in the past two uh, flashbacks, and the choreography repeats itself as he runs away. But the shadow of Batman looms over her, so she grabs the man, stops him, and stomps on his face just as he did the, the older man in Vietnam, and she knocks him out at the end of the story batman says you have one rule no costume criminals if someone like i don't know kite man or something is running amok tell alfred and he'll fax me otherwise gotham city is yours and remember on those streets you are me and batgirl caresses his cheek he's like uh that's not necessary and we end with uh, going back to the memory of the young girl covered in blood, having dismantled all the mercenaries, and we, it's revealed that this is footage from a film strip uh, viewed by a much older David Kane who rewinds all the way back to the beginning, and that is Batgirl number one.
0: Okay, so I think that the first and perhaps most important question for this issue is this is the number one issue for her ongoing title, so how... Does it do, being a number one issue and really getting us into Cassandra Kane mode to start her
2: ongoing? I think that at the time when it first came out, it might have been a little difficult in seeing where it was going and how the storytelling was. In hindsight, in regards to knowing who Cassandra Kane is, who this new Batgirl is, and how the stories kind of play out, and especially what her limitations and her character attributes are, this is pretty great this is actually close to perfect I think because a hallmark of this run is that there's actually very little dialogue especially when when backer was running around and because of that the communication skills in the terms of the comic book storytelling are very intentionally they're more abstract than most comic storytelling is there's a lot of flat there's a lot of cutting backwards and forwards in terms of flashbacks there's a lot of like visual cues there's a lot of like thematic repetition. And all of it is in service of trying to pull out not to pull out information, right? And the and the key information to find to, that this comic seeks to deliver is who is this new Batgirl? Is she the young girl from the flashback? Is she the person that Barbara thinks she is? Is she the person that Batman thinks she is? Is she the person that uh, David Cain thinks she is? And I think that I had a little trouble when I first read this issue, just trying to keep track of what was going on. But as I've read it over and over again, and, and throughout the last few years, I've recognized what Puckett was doing, and I think that this is actually, this is endemic of the run as a whole, which which I think is, and I mean this, like, one of the best comic runs that DC Comics has ever done. So I think that this is a uh, a near-perfect uh, succession of comic storytelling representative of the character, but who cares what I think? What do you think, Stan? <laughs>
0: So I read this twice, and the first time that I read it, I really did, well. No, that's hold on. I've read it three times because I did that run through I did that yes. read through several years ago, and I was I was keeping you a, a, a pace of what I was doing. So this is the second time I've read it, but there's been a year gap or years gap there. So I read it, and then I read it again. Are you nervous about what I'm going to say? I can tell that you're. Uh, I'm my yeah, I can tell. I can tell. I really did not like it the first time that I reread it this uh, like two days ago, three days ago. And then I reread it again, and it got a little bit better. I, I think I- I'm totally on board with what you're saying. And it has to be done this way, because that's the nature of Cass's character, that it's got to be about the art, I think. But I just felt like it was for me it was hard to follow that first time and and i felt like it was really scattered and there were just a couple moments i think it's that last scene that really gets me where she is in the yellow doorway and then she turns around and then she goes like that cue is so subtle that you've got to figure out you know what's what's happening there Mm -hmm. and i'm just thinking about it in terms of and number one, the first time you might be seeing this, you know, seeing, oh, there's a new back girl. I want to pick this up, and how easy it would be, and, and we don't read comics because they're easy, but just to, to go along with this. And, and I think that it, in terms of that, I, I think it does perhaps a poor job, but knowing casts I'm totally on board with what you're saying, but it did take me two read-throughs this time to really, I think, more fully understand what was happening, and then I really paid attention to your recap, which sometimes doesn't happen, I will admit on air. Not you personally, not you personally, (laughs) but just in general, sometimes I zone out during and you know, following along, I'm like, okay, this makes better sense now, so I, I got to appreciate it more. I also personally feel, this of course, this is a biased thing though, that We almost set like a bad precedent, though it does make sense in the long run with having conflicting parents like right off the bat. And I almost think it would have been better to have one or the other. I mean, if really you've got four people going on there and you've built up to a certain extent a lot of this Oracle and Cass. Again, I'm biased. So I almost wonder what it would have been like to, to focus on those two for the issue. But yes, she is with Batman, of course, now on the team. And then David Kane is, is never far behind. But uh, so it's it's not my favorite. And I feel for me, it it sets a low bar for for a number one. And I really like Cass and I really like this run. So this is the the thing that I said that there was going to be a heartbreaking moment for you. And I knew it was going to be this one. It just it was it was low for me. (laughs) So I do apologize for uh, for
2: that. Well, I understand how the storytelling is is it's hard to see. And, I remember, again, when I first read this, it was hard for me to understand, like, the transitions. like the, Not the first flashback. The first flashback is obvious, but, like, the flashback in Vietnam, it's kind of hard to track, like, the motivations of, like, the mercenary because he, like, kind of, you know, kind of breaks down. And is
0: that – so you made it sound like that girl was actually Cass. I was thinking that that was, like, a villager that just reminded him of the trauma at the hands of Cass that he had faced.
2: No, it's Cassandra because – she there's, – there's repeated imagery. And I didn't get the repeated imagery until very recently where she runs away. The young, the, young, the young woman in the alley runs away in a way that Cass recognizes. And then the, other, the person, the mercenary that she runs into again, runs away a similar way, although she catches up to him because the shadow of Batman's over her. A lot of it is very symbiotic in how it, it relates like you know, between the past and the present. And that's hard to follow, when you're, especially when you're reading the first issue. You're not being – you're not with really the understanding that you should look out for that kind of stuff. So I, I, I get that you're not just being a contrarian or uh, that, that you're saying, like, this is, this is hard to follow. But I think that it's not completely obtuse. So you can't follow it. When you, when you look out for what, what is there, I think there's a, there's a really strong grasp of storytelling here. And I, I couldn't disagree with you more about, like, the parent thing because I think you, when you said that you wanted kind of just more focus on Batgirl and Oracle's relationship, I mean, you get that fairly consistently every issue – like Batman's not in every issue. And Oracle is in more issues than I think than he is. So I don't think that you're wanting anything more than what we have here. It's it's a, I think it's a good setup for what you what you should expect. Because you have scenes of her in the, in the in Oracle in the park. You know, Batgirl lives with Oracle. So there's the understanding that she's that she's I think I think you you under, you, you are being presented with the sort of the differences in how they're raising her. And, I, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I feel that like more than like more than Tim Drake's comic, Batman has a presence in this that I think is a lot more integral to to Batgirl because she because they relate to each other much more than just working partners. And I think that this is one of those things where I kind of argue you need both Batman and Oracle there, not just one or the other, because one or the other doesn't weigh uh, a greater weight of importance over, over Cassandra's you know upbringing and future. I mean, I see I, I see what you're saying. But I think that like there's there's a lot. It I don't know. There's, there's just a, t- a tighter there's just a tighter uh, storytelling metric in this issue that I think does kind of require repeated viewings and maybe that or repeated readings. Maybe that is a, somewhat of a failure. But from what I've picked out from it, from what I feel from it, it's I think it's pretty good.
0: Do you think the Batman and and Oracle like having all of this and that discussion though is too much for an issue number one?
2: no because what are they saying uh she she says are we are you sure we're not we're not moving her along too fast she's only 17 and batman says who does she remind you of and he's and oracle says you and he's like exactly she's just one strong moment away from making sense of it all like because and that's a gigantic theme of the character that like out of all the bat family characters that that she relates to batman more than anybody else and because he knows how she does his faith in her can be kind of misplaced because he, like, 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 like he sees things in her that he really enjoys in terms of utter utter competence, and because of that, he forgets that she's still a teenage girl. Even even Cassandra does see herself as a normal person, which is why Oracle is there to help her to help kind of bring the make it bad girl and not just bad person. You know, mm. so no, I I think that like their conversation is like arguably the most important scene in the, in the comic. Okay,
0: what do you? Think about her origin story being well. I shouldn't even put it in that way, but just this seeing her in this issue being side by side with the Merc and and seeing him throughout the years as well.
2: It's an in- interesting thing that you know. I don't think this guy ever comes back. It's interesting showing because there's there's it's not just like that Cassandra came with training to be assassin and then like you know she's back or Like there's a huge regret element in there. And you know, the guy's not even up for really killing her at first when when she was a girl. And um I think it's interesting to kind of show that development. And that's another thing that, that, that like the 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 series will kind of get into the theme of changing or or can good people change or can bad people change. And I think that um that uh you know, like, like 'cause cause Kelly Puckett said that like he wasn't sure of who Cassandra was when he was writing her for a long time. Like he wasn't really sure where he was going with the character, but I think that it all still makes sense, and I think that there's enough, there is enough of an understanding as to kind of who people are in terms of like you know can people change? Are they all just you know one person or another? And the discussions about that in the comic that I, I think I think it makes everything necessary. There doesn't seem to be any excess or flab or unnecessary dialogue or unnecessary scenes in this issue. So I think for this issue, he works fine. And again, I don't I don't think he comes back, but I think that uh it serves it pretty well, especially when you go from, like, the Vietnam scene to, like, the scene at the end where uh, Batgirl actually catches up to him and, and kind of freaks him out and stuff like that. That, that. That's a big tell because, you know, she ran away initially. then she, Now she stops him because the shadow of Batman is looming over her, which is the most direct and obvious, like, theme or um, subtext in the, in the book.
0: Yeah, and you can see her impact on his life, too. So I, I think that's the, you know, the biggest takeaway for me, obviously, is just that she... You know, I guess killed all those people in the beginning, and then she wrecked him pretty badly as well. And then he almost has like some some PTSD from that experience. But she well,
2: she didn't kill him because when she killed the the when her morgue is that like when she killed the mob boss, that's when she ran away from Kane. But she probably like crippled them.
0: Yeah. Well, I no, you don't think she killed his compatriots though? With all that. No, because that's.
2: that's... I mean no, but but like that's the story. Like like when because when she kills the mob boss, and this is this went over this in like a, the No Man's Land story. When she killed the mob boss, she, her her body language sensing uh, of the person passing away freaked her out, and she ran away from Kane.
0: Okay, so that would have been the first time you're saying. So this is just yeah. a training exercise, and everyone's hunky dory.
2: Yeah, and, and 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 we'll go into this later in later stories, but Kane explicitly says that's what happened. Okay.
0: Okay. So, yeah, there you go. Well, still I think it, you know, so you get to see his tumbling through life and he's pretty messed up and uh yeah, I it was just an interesting pairing for me to to put whereas it would have been nice to have like a cast solo mission for number 1, but that's just me. Mhm. So, she's already disobeyed Batman once and uh because he says no costume criminals and she was hanging out with Catwoman, so don't you think she should be fired
2: oh come on (laughs) that's not a serious question (laughs) i mean he didn't know about that i guess so like Uh but like uh yeah but uh, but like this is one of those things where like i don't think she doesn't she doesn't really fight any like of the rogues gallery in, in this first run that doesn't happen until like near like issue 50 where she's like running to poison ivy and stuff but like uh it's very grounded sure and, and I like that because she is so new that, like, as skilled as she is – and we'll see later on where like, she's, she's like, you know, she can't fight a metahuman that, like, as good as she is, she can't really go up against, like, people with powers or people with certain uh, weapons and stuff like that, which I thought was was a good thing. Like, you know, no one rule, no costume criminals. Otherwise, go nuts. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I guess she gets a pass anyways because she doesn't actually understand what he's saying, but
2: – Well, I mean, like, not what he's saying, but what he means, sort of. You think Although, so? I, 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 Actually, that's actually an interesting point because like he doesn't really demonstrate visually yeah, what, what that is but like I, I guess the I guess the the inference is that like she kind of does get it like uh, especially later on but like that's a good point like she it's it's weird because like she, what we got to understand is that like she can't when people are talking to her she really can't understand them right. but it's it's kind of like the, the gesticulating and the gesturing and the the the, the respiration and how they speak that she can kind of gleam in it, gleam in understanding. It's a kind of common booky kind of like dyslexia slash mute. Yeah. Uh, you know. No, I illiterate. get
0: that. I just feel like of all the people, Batman is the least likely to gesticulate.
2: I mean, I don't know.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. Because Babs it tried depends. her best nope. in the park, and that didn't turn out too well for her.
5: Right. Final
0: question on this one for me, anyways. You may have some of your own. What do you think Cass was communicating when she touched Batman's cheek at the
2: end? I think I think it was kind of appreciation. You know that's a positive physical expression that she, that she's seen, so she's repeating it to him. And you know, she like 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 touch is is an important thing. How it's done, you know, she you know she can hurt people, she can punch people, she can cripple people, but like that kind of gentle thing is sort of like a, I got it. You know, you can you can trust me. I'm honored by this. It's just kind of a very simple gesture, rather than I don't know. You know, you have some mustard in your mouth or something, because <laughs> um, like, like she kisses a guy on the cheek in the next issue, so like she she understands. Yeah. She understands the language of touch, and that goes a long way towards illustrating what kind of person that she is. Because, and i said this before on, on the Batman universe, how she's often seen. I remember, I think Melinda said that she's a very like dark, violent, gritty character. But Cassandra Kane really isn't. Like she, she has a dark, gritty origin, but like the character herself isn't mired in misery as much as other you know superheroes can be. And I think that that's again showing the dimensionality of 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 a character okay
0: i have no disagreements with that
2: what did you think about the artwork
0: oh the artwork well uh, i enjoy this artwork i think i always look to see how babs is portrayed because (laughs) she well she is inconsistently portrayed so i i had to look to see how it is it reminds me of this is not the same artist as the like the current nightwing at this time is it
2: uh, on Nightwing right now? I don't know. Well, I know for a fact it isn't. In like, 2000, sh- I mean. Oh, Scott McDaniel. Yeah. No, it's not. No, this okay. is Damien Scott. Da- Damien Scott is, is, a, is a Jamaican artist.
0: Okay, yeah. I, I just have some – there are some echoes there. But no, I enjoy it. And they – you could tell, at least when there were flashbacks with sort of the tone, co- the coloring and everything, which I appreciated because that helped out. It was a, a mm-hmm. bit more whitewashed, I guess we could say. But no, I have no issues with the art for sure. And it's nice to see Babs, you know, in her wheelchair so it's not just floating heads. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Ever thought about that? Yeah, I love it. Um, it's going to get Damien Scott's artwork throughout the run gets. It, it changes a lot. Um, it'll get a lot more detailed later on. And by the time he's off the book, it gets a lot more kind of like, kind of free and hip hop centric to the point where like his current style is very graffiti inspired. I really like this style. I, I mean, I like I like his, his, all of his style. Um, I, I don't think that he ever does a bad issue. But I like this here where it's kind of cartoony, but it's also very detailed. This is an era in DC and Batman comics, really, and I think that like your comparison to Scott McDaniel makes sense because there's a lot of people, there's a lot of detail in the background, um, the rooftop that Batman and Batgirl are on, uh, and it happens later on. There's a lot of graffiti in the alleyways. There's a lot of like kind of crumbling concrete and stuff. It looks it looks realistic, without looking like you know too realistic. There's a lot of filled in detail that the eye kind of gives you to kind of to kind of generate a sense of of, of reality. It's a very diverse looking series. And there's a lot of people of color all throughout the book, like in the foreground and the background. And it makes Gotham City because everyone's like, Oh Gotham City, it's so horrible, blah, blah, blah. It just looks like a real place. A real place where anything could happen, whether it's good or bad. Like Oracle dresses, you know, I mean it's it's the fall, so she's like in a in a scarf and uh in like a um in a beanie and stuff like that. Um, you know, no, nobody's wearing any blue windows or whatever. Like, everyone's in sweatshirts and stuff.
1: I should hope uh, not.
2: <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's just I, I, really, I really like it. And I think that the action sequences are always great. It's always very extreme and manga-inspired. Uh, there are several moments where Batgirl... Uh, In the next issue and another issue, just like takes down like three guys at once, just like one panel, and that's very manga inspired. But but it 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 generates a sense of power, without it you know kind of being questionable or or what have you. Um, And I think that like I think I like how he draws Barbara Gordon. I like how he draws Cassandra. I like how he draws Bruce Wayne. I like I I just like how everyone is rendered. I don't I don't want to say it's cartoony, but it's very like stylized. And I think that uh, a great comic book run has a great writer and a great artist, and this is endemic of that.
0: And there's going to be a lot of need for a strong comic book artist on this title, since there's not a lot of words from Cass yet. So it's all
2: yeah, and, it's, and a lot of a lot of action. Right. Yep,
0: yep. And I enjoyed, you know, the Asima that that scene at the beginning. I liked it, and I also liked that Babs took her down, though Cass seemed to have been distracted a little bit.
2: Yeah, don't get it twisted. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know.
0: But hey, man.
2: Well, I like I love that detail where. This is the first issue we're seeing Oracle, and the second panel is like you know her and her Batgirl costume, it, it demonstrating to the reader Oracle was Batgirl. But that was that was showing. The next panel says, "Oh, that was Cassandra." Distri-. You don't see Cassandra looking away. You see, you see her point of view. So I thought that was very clever. That was very clever scripting. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, yep. Passing near the torch. Well, if there's nothing else on this one, what grade would you give it? Let's see. What should our grading system be? Out of ten cheek caresses, what would you give this particular issue? This is this is a ten. Interesting.
2: This is a ten. I, I, I don't I don't care. Like and this, I know this is, you this don't. Just, well, this is because like because I I remember going back to like when we were doing No Man's Land. and I gave those issues a ten, and, and you were like, "It's not that good." Carolyn actually, emailed me saying, like, oh, she thought it was a 10 as well, because... Oh, mm.
0: that's a betrayal. <laughs> she went behind <laughs> my back and said yes. that she agreed with you. She and I will have words. Yes.
2: I, I'm happy to tell you that. Because, and it's not just because I love Cassandra Kane, so everything she does is perfect, because God knows that's not true. Adam Beach. <laughs> but the writing and the artwork are so good that, I mean, I... I I'm being serious. I really think that this is like and – you, and you've been doing this show for nearly 10 years, so you have a better grasp of what you've read. I think this is one of, if not the best run that you're about to review on on this podcast. I think that the writing itself in terms of like the characterization is so strong that I just – it sucks. every Every time this character appears afterward, it's just not as good because it is so – emotional and it is so heartfelt while still being very in keeping with you know the dc comics like you know understanding of these are superheroes and i think this is a very strong issue this is not the best issue of the series but like it's so You're giving
0: it a technically and it's not the best issue
2: well that's how good the series <laughs> is like like the it's it's so technically proficient that there's nothing really wrong with it now i, I should probably give it a 9.5 because it is a little abstract but understanding where, what, what, where, what, how it comes together, I think I'm going to settle with a 10 with no regrets.
0: Okay. No regrets either. I'll give it a 7 out of 10. Cheek. Oh, I thought you going lower. Well, it was initially a 5, but it went up a little bit after my second read-through. So.
2: I would not stand for that. You will.
0: Who cares? <laughs> uh, okay. So on to issue number two. We're in safe waters with this particular one.
2: <laughs> well, th- thanks for the spoil. You're welcome. We start off with a man writing uh, his wife, um, how he ap- apologizing because he explaining how the actions that he undertook were so foolish, and yet he couldn't help himself. Uh, that will be that will be further elaborated on. Now, uh, we cut to said scene where a, a guy is is roughing up a woman, saying, "You know, I'm supposed to just forget about you." He's clearly like like a jilted ex lover. Wow, some men with guns are are pointing to the reader and also to our protagonists to keep walking. So the scene is essentially like, like a guy roughing up an ex-girlfriend that she's married now. She's a ring on her finger. And um, some men with guns, his bodyguard, is saying, go away. This is a, this doesn't concern you. Uh, said guy takes a, uh, a wooden plank and knocks it against one of the gunmen's heads and telling them, you know, people have seen your face. So you guys just let her go. Run. This doesn't have to go on any further. Uh, the gunmen take him across in, in, into the... Um, Brick wall and are about to execute him with no regrets, especially from the, the the main man. When he is saved by Batgirl and she kisses him on the cheek for his trouble. Mm-hmm. The next afternoon, Cassandra is, uh, you know, rumbling into Oracle's, you know, I guess Clock Tower Hub headquarters uh, with a smile on her face. And again, she doesn't really tell Oracle what happened because she can't. But but she's she's pretty happy. Oracle says, "If you learn some vocabulary, <laughs> then we could like." talk to each other like normal people which which i which i want to get back to uh, yeah and then cassandra's like blah 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 uh so a newscast comes on and as cassandra uh i say cassandra batgirl uh points out oh that's the person that i saved but uh the news report is that like he's been kidnapped out of his home he was known to be a good samaritan hero the previous night but he's since been kidnapped so um barbara communicates to batgirl that you know he's in trouble Batgirl tries to take her frustrations out on the hitting bat, but that lasts hardly uh, five seconds before she just punches it in half. And then Oracle says, don't worry, I'll find him. That is one of my favorite pages in the story, by the way. Oracle tracks down the person's whereabouts, and the and the, the, the guy who was roughing him up was a, the son of a mob boss. So he has connections. He has you know he has resources and stuff. And and he fig- th- she figures out that they are holed up in this kind of like prison or former prison that's sort of across the way in Gotham City. Uh, but before we're going turn around, background was already kind of hustled out over there uh, via taxi. And by the time she reaches there, it's sort of like the kind um, the of Monte Cristo. Uh, yeah, she
0: swam across. Fr- I mean, it's ba- it basically is like Alcatraz or something.
2: Right, right. So she she quickly finds her way in there and finds the mob boss and uh, who leads her to where the man is. Um, I believe at this point the man's name, his name is said to be John Robinson, uh, but the mob boss quickly throws the keys to the door out of the window, and even though Batgirl knocks him out, they are both – her and Robinson are both trapped in the uh, the cell door, the cell prison room. And he's been worked over so badly that, that he's dying. He needs to see a doctor because he has fatal injuries, like his ribs are broken and moving around and stuff. And he is – disbelieving that he's about to die and he feels so regretful that he did this to his wife and he can't imagine how worried she is but Batgirl who's who's not been trained to pick locks just kicks a hole in the, in the wall and they they seek to escape he ends up passing away but not before giving Batgirl a letter that the letter that we saw on the very the first page to Batgirl to deliver to his wife uh she flies in a rage as you might imagine and delivers a spinning bird kick Allah Street Fighter Two yeah. to all of the gunmen, and, and just takes everybody down, uh, not killing them, but like you know apprehending everybody as soon as the policemen arrive. Uh, at the very end, we see Commissioner Gordon give his condolences to Robinson's wife, and Batgirl appears in her room delivering uh, Robinson's final message to her, and so she has a, a bit of closure. And we end with Oracle being woken up from a light in her in the other room, and she sees a passed out Batgirl trying to illustrates letters and she says now she wants to learn how to write I wonder what brought that on and that is background number two
0: okay well yeah I'll start off with this one I mean good heavens why is Barbara so intense about the alphabet (laughs) even that art panel there you've got her almost I mean if you erased everything it looks like she's angry do you think it's too much too soon to learn I mean is this more for Barbara's benefit or for Cass's
2: Oh, it's for Barbara's benefit. I think I, I don't know if you remember this, but this is that, that image was in my presentation, uh, and it was in a collage of images that showed people just not understanding her, having a hard time understanding her, and being frustrated by that. I, I when I reread this for the presentation, I was like, "That is that is way too harsh." And I, I think I think she's wrong to be because I feel like she's come across as very frustrated and downright and ins- honestly downright insulting to Batgirl. Because she's like you know talk to each other like normal people, and it's like, like you know she she's kind of this sort of like super fighter ninja combo character, but you know being mutant dyslexic is a real thing, and it comes across as Barbara just having no time for a person with a disability, and and I think that I and it's very human of her to be frustrated and you know and be be annoyed, but I don't think that makes her look good, and you know Barbara or Batgirl Cassandra is being very kind, of, you know. Blah blah blah. I think it's kind of funny, but I think that like that there are moments in this series where where Barbara's frustration with Cassandra's lack of communication skills is understandable and realistic, and I like it. Kind of shows her, but I think it kind of shows that she's a flawed character because I think that's downright mean what she says, especially because she knows she can get away with it because Cassandra doesn't understand her in in that way. So I, I just remember reading that kind of like really bristling because I thought like look look at her like she looks so she looks so pissed off and it's like it's not her fault that she can't read or, or speak but um yeah I, I, I took that to be a very a very negative example of barbara's character even though i thought it was realistic um what did you think well
0: it i mean f- what 50 issues from now there's going to be that big blowout so we're almost setting the stage for that remember what she is highly insulting library. To her.
2: yeah no she no yeah. she is and, and and there there's at least another moment in between those that were were it just shows that I th- I think as 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 empathetic as Barbara empathy Ooh. oh um, no. yeah oh no <laughs> um, as as Barbara can be I think we're seeing like uh, uh, the limits of that and I think that because you know Barbara was very well educated she was she was very um, intelligent and she used her intelligence as Batgirl seeing somebody kind of run around beating people up probably ticks her off a little bit but I think that like I mean seriously she's 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 encountering somebody who is you know disabled and I, and I think that we should recognize that that her just saying like normal people that's that's not cool that's like that's like really trans- transgressive and again i'm not saying they should have done that in the comic book or like that that's verboten but i think that we shouldn't you know I, I i'm not giving her a pass on that just because she's not as strict as batman is i think that that's 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 kind of cold towards anybody I is think. it
0: possible at all that She's frustrated because she sees the similarity between herself and Cass, uh, both having, you know, a disability but in a different way. But she can't do anything about it, Babs can't. But she sees Cass as being able to potentially surmount her disability and being frustrated that Cass is not taking that ability. So it's very much a personal anger that she's just angry that, you know, I can't do anything to help myself, but you can't, and here you are not doing it.
2: That's possible. I think that that there, that's that's definitely uh, a potential read of that frustration. I mean, I don't think it justifies it because like no, that that normal no. people line is 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 just it's it's way that is that is that is way too mean. But I think that's an interesting read because Batgirl's disability is uh, something that that can be potentially um, you know overcome. And you know th- they later go on you know th- it's a genuine kind of thing that like it's not as it's even harder than real life people in terms of like you know um dyslexia and stuff like that but like i think that's, that's an interesting point that like they're both two people who aren't um as able bodies as other superheroes so there is this, there is sort of like um intersectionality with interacting uh between the two of them. look at us we might as well do a presentation on this together no yeah i, I think that's, that's 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 a healthy read of that and, it, and it's again i'm not saying that like uh It's out of character, or she shouldn't have done it. But I, I do think it's an example of a flawed, a flawed expression of of a character that we like being being wrong in the the way that, like you know, Batman does things that are wrong, even though, even though I like (laughs) him. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You're hypocritical, and frankly, it annoys me. It annoys me. Yeah, I don't want I'm not going to justify it either. And you said, you know, it's not out of character. And, and I I wonder if it's not, I think, to a certain extent. Yes, I guess you would get annoyed with what she says. I feel like maybe that's a little too intense for Barbara and only because I mean, my evidence would be how she treats Cass in No Man's Land. This very loving way and teaching her. I don't know what issue that was. That was the cane, the mark of Cain, like three parter, right? Where, you know, teaching her stop and, and very patient and everything. And so to go from that to this is a stark contrast. And so it's just very shocking with with how how it's presented here.
2: Well, that's interesting because her, uh, that's an interesting point you bring up because she was trying to teach her. And I think that, like, the difference being she's gotten a no back cat. I keep on calling her back because she's not called cats in these issues initially. And. I don't know when she is called Cassandra. I think by the time the Shiva arc, it was
0: given her name was given in the The novel. Yeah, the novelization because she was trying to connect her oracle personality with another ancient Greek. So Cassandra, of course, being the the daughter of Priam, who foretold that Troy would burn, but no one believed her because that was her curse. So, uh, but when it's you know brought into the comic book time, I don't know.
2: Yeah, the comic book version. I think by the time we get into the Shiva arc, maybe it is. But but even then, I, I feel like I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, anyways, I think that's an interesting point you bring up. That like, um, but I, I would say that she thought that Cassandra was just some you know uh, mute courier that that you know was a normal person. And having seen how skilled she is, I think you're right that like there is a frustration in the world. You could be so much more than what you are now. Kind of a blunt instrument. Um, so she sees her as a different person that she can kind of, you know, communicate with, and and I think that there's there's genuinely a, a, an element of she talks she speaks this way to, to to Batgirl because she can because she knows that Batgirl can't pick up the the kind of disdain in her voice, um, even though she she's glaring at her, um, and again it, it doesn't necessarily register to Cassandra. Cassandra like you kind of like you know, like literally like there's this a whole blah 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 mouth or hand movement, but it feels like. Kind of a thing I don't know if it, it feels like almost like messing with a blind kid mm, in, a little, sure. in a little way that I think I, I think it's worth pointing out because and I, and I like it because just because we like Cassandra and because we like all these bad family characters doesn't mean that everybody is everybody's will be and that they all interact positively so you know yeah no I, and there, again this is not the only scene in this series yeah like this and, and and i'm not just counting the, the the library breakup arc so uh it's interesting to kind of see that see that i mean even batman like in um no man's land that that mr zaz killer croc leslie Tompkins story when batgirl was trying to demonstrate that she felt bad for him because he was arguing with leslie and he says like i don't understand you just just keep her safe and and batgirl was was failing to communicate that like like there's a lot of you know, and then later on Tim Drake says that he's afraid of her because she can't speak so like there's there is a lot of like disability separates people you know we can we can we can work with it we can, we can work past it but like it is something that you have to kind of deal with and that doesn't always lend to positive encounters between people who love each other so I, I think that, that again like yeah, I think it's, its it's good but like damn that's mean and then, and, I, and I don't want to like not say sure.
0: it is oh well no I, I'm not trying to justify as you like <laughs> to justify Batman what Barbara has said <laughs> so no I agree that she shouldn't have said that let's see here did, did you did, do oh okay so in your recap in your recap my you recap you said that Cass you know she can't communicate so why even bother in, in a sense you know of what she's doing but really what I see with her i
2: say why does she bother?
0: Okay. I'm (laughs) I'm sorry. Let me go back. I thought maybe you'd go with that, but no. We're into semantics right now. In your recap, you said that when Baz asked her what she was up to, she knows that she can't be understood, so she doesn't say anything. In my opinion, when she throws up her – like she – that's not necessarily what she's doing with the –
5: She's like shrugging.
0: yeah, you know, which is similar to the Catwoman thing. And and so I just wonder, you know, why doesn't she necessarily tell Babs what she was up to? I mean, even in gesticulations.
2: I think it's because these are sort of new experiences for her in terms of positive expressions of, you know, her fighting skills and, you know, the use of violence and just kind of feeling positive. You know, she didn't we don't we don't we're led to believe that she experiences on her own. In the ten years, or the ten or nine years, she was like, you know, growing up across the world. Like, she was brought, she was raised to be a killer. She was raised in a violent, you know, abu- domestically abusive home. Yeah. And so, fighting bad guys with another person in costume, or I, I think even more so than like, just, it wasn't just beating up the bad guys here. It was like seeing somebody who was being a good person and and making sure that they were okay. That's why she takes this so personally. It's not just you know, oh, I know that guy. It's because of what that person represents in terms of like. You know, helping people like that's that's what is going on, and I think that like she's like, I don't know, it's just I'm just I'm just I'm just happy, about it. I, I think that, that that's what I read from it. I'm not saying that that's specifically obvious in the in the in the page, but that's what I get okay. from it.
0: Yeah, uh, well, no, I'm trying to <laughs> think. I don't know. I I just I mean it's cheeky. I think it's cheeky. I, I think of all the people, Oracle would be the one to understand i think you know going out and and she helps somebody and oracle is obviously asking because she's interested in her and it might be yeah i guess along along what you were saying the fact that she's not used to maybe someone taking a healthy interest in her life so she'll get used to it soon but just seems like it would be it would make sense also story-wise because it doesn't really she just points at john on the screen but barbara doesn't understand that it was associated with what she had been up to and so everything seems like right. so separate like she breaks that bag and oracle's like wow you really care about what's going on here but doesn't connect and so i guess it's just me wanting there to be like more of a, a give for for cast but maybe i'm pushing her too soon you know trying to treat <laughs> her like a normal person
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah when i when i when i read barbara i hear your voice and i don't want oh, to oh <laughs>
0: dear that's interesting so let's see here do 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 john john why was john so important to Cass? and i think even beyond you know helping him and what had happened it seems like she it's it's really big for her this whole mission why do you think that is
2: well mm, why do you think that is <laughs> I have I have my my beliefs, right. but like I I don't know if it's if it's that hard to, to read. So I'm interested sure to hear what made you ask that question.
0: What made me ask that question? Because I think she's going to go and help him out because she finds out that it's bad. Because Babs, obviously, I think she could tell from Barbara's body language that it was bad, and then Barbara told her that it was bad, and so I think none. In any case, she would have absolutely gone and helped him out. But it looks like everything's notched up to 10. Like, she's really intense. You know, she breaks that bag. She's obviously connected to this man in some way. And, the you know, going after, even after the mission is done, almost going after a revenge mission, um, the letter, of course, I, I think that's just in line with John and fulfilling his wishes there. And then after that, it's impacted her to the extent that she's almost looked at what John did, his, his last action, and wants to learn to finally write. So this man has obviously impacted her deeply, and I'm wondering why.
2: Well, it's like I said, I, you know, he was a person who could have walked away. And had every reason to walk away but but he tried to help somebody and he was outgunned he was out he was outmatched and she clearly saw what he what he did because she kissed him on the cheek and returned his bag and so she thinks that he's a, a person that she kind of wants to be somebody who wants to help people and to see that he's now, he, now he's now in danger because of that or, or understanding something along those lines that and she has, she doesn't know where to help him she takes that personally. And I think there's there's nothing necessarily more than that. This is the first time that she's interacting with these types of people. It's not just, oh, this person's been kidnapped, but this person that I feel that I know, and whose actions mean a lot to me as somebody who's trying to redeem themselves, that is worth preserving and saving, more so than like it's a, it's a kidnapping thing. There's she has no other point of reference. She has no other context to relate that to in terms of past experience. So she takes that she takes that personally. Because wouldn't I mean? Wouldn't you if you saw somebody who was a good Samaritan and they you know got to go back to their wife and then the next thing you know because of their good deed they were they were kidnapped. I feel that that would that would be you know that would be very personally harrowing. But like because she saved him, it's almost like it's, it's like he's now his she he is now his good is now her responsibility to to preserve in a way. Hmm. Would you disagree?
0: No, I wouldn't disagree. I just think it's interesting. You know how much. She really attached herself to him and it was almost like he imprinted himself on her. And And I wonder if this is going to be something that we see because I'm also thinking ahead to the next issue with uh, the little girl and everything. And mm-hmm. in her way of, you know, making up for her past, you know, whatever that might mean for her, really, I think, yeah, really – like pushing into this empathy thing and she's like so opened up that she's very much taking on these people and, and really having this deeper connection with them. And this is something I want to talk about in, in issue three afterwards, but we're really I think looking at not even I wouldn't even consider it street level. It is technically street level crime, but mm-hmm. all these people that she's working with are like these innocent pure individuals. And uh it's just yeah, it's very different. And and these sort of random acts of violence you know, almost it's not like there's Scarecrow going on or all of this stuff. Right. It's, it's all these other things. So I think it's, she's got this very unique cast around her and she's interacting in a different way that I think we've seen with any of the other members of the Bat family, which is fun.
2: I think it's a good observation that you make that like, yeah, it's not this separation of this is a superhero comic, these are the supervillains, this is the action sequences, this is the MacGuffin. It's not that. It's very, It's very kind of grounded and relatable. You know, you can, you can see, you can conceive this happening. It's not, it's not too uh, superficial.
0: Right. That is all I have on that particular issue. unless you had something else?
2: Well, like I said, the page where uh, like, like like Oracle's matrix data is like reflected on top of yes. Cassandra. Yeah. And Oracle says, "Looks, this will this will take a while. And there's nothing you can do to help. Why don't you go hit the bag, t- take some edge off, okay? And they hear, whap, whap, bam, whap, whap, bam, and in the the punching bag is punched in half, and then Cassandra looks back at Oracle, and Oracle says, "Don't worry, I'll find him." That page is awesome. That entire th- that that is great, and I think that there's a lot of like very um, economic storytelling in the artwork, like the page where she grabs the mob boss's son, and like you know, it's like it's like four and a half panels almost. Like he he, he the door is closed, door opens with her his her mouth over him. He throws out the keys, she can't reach the keys, and then she punches him out like like very quick panels there's not a lot of like excess action but um it's it's almost like you know that page alone kind of tells a uh, a larger story what did you think of john robertson what did you think of like how he was characterized what did you think of um just because all he is really is sort of like a victim in this whole thing like what did you what did you think of how he was sort of like rendered in this story
0: I thought it was unnecessary that we killed him off. That would be my only negative. So, all the other things are positive. But, you know, for people who. And he was even with a man, I think, that just walked on because he asked what's going on. The other man walked on. For people who just walk past those sorts of situations or assume that someone else would do it, you know, he was a great person and actually went in and, and he did that call in, in a place as dangerous as Gotham City. He didn't know what was about to happen in the alleyway. Could have been anyone. And he goes in to to help that woman and, and doesn't back down. And I think that showed great character. And then, of course, you know, we had really bad people. He And so they did not leave it as is. Uh, it seemed... I almost feel like, I guess with mobs maybe that's what they do, but it almost overkill, the fact that they had to drag him to Alcatraz, and it wasn't Alcatraz but I'll just call it Alcatraz <laughs> beat him up and leave him there I mean, you, th- you would have thought something else would have happened, but the fact that he wasn't even thinking about himself, I think, pointed to his character as well, and he was just worried about his wife and what was going on with her and that she was probably anxiety ridden and, and everything. And yeah, I think just a great role model for Cassandra because he's not as intense as Batman. And I I think more of a, uh, I I don't want to get myself in the hot water here. Yeah. I I just think he was a very positive influence on Cassandra.
2: I mean, I I like, I think he's, he's, well rendered, you know. There's you don't need too much information on him, but like he just he feels realistic, you know. He's 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 the entire time he's doubting himself doing this, but he's still doing the you know what is I, I would say is the right thing to do. Of course, you know in re, you know in a comic book sense, I like what he's saying. You know you know you guys your faces have been seen. The cops are on the way. Why are you why are you doing this to me? And then the, the mob boss son says. Why would I do what? Why would I not do the smart thing? Why would I risk 25 to life by blowing your brains over the wall? I don't know. Does it really matter? So it kind of gives it this kind of almost hopeless sense of like futility with his actions. And then Batgirl shows up and everything's okay. And then till doesn't. But, I, 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 you know, usually you don't, you don't think he should have died or you don't like that he should have died. I, I think obviously this plays into the next issue and it's all for the sake of Cassandra's development. But I like – So he's a plot device? I mean, I think that that's a really cynical way to put it. Because he, <laughs> I mean,
0: you can, can say that he uh, Aren't you glad we're not in the same room?
2: <laughs> I just see your leering smile over me. But, but, I mean, he does serve her character. But, like, he's... I mean, you can say that he's a plot device, but I think that that's ignoring the full page, the full five rectangle pages of him... Talking to himself as he's dying, saying, "I can't believe it. I'm going to die. My wife's at home, where she's worrying." I like that, to me, feels feels crushingly human. And he's talking to himself. You know, it's almost like this becomes his story for a one page. And that's and, and in the background, we're seeing we're seeing the detail of Cassandra not letting anything tr- stop her and kicking a hole in, in like a concrete wall, which is pretty awesome. You know, I don't know. It's, it's 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 part of that kind of humanity that I feel that like this this comic book series always delivers where. Even the mom boss's son who's he's, he's nothing but a bad guy he he does he is aware of like the sort of senselessness of his own violence, but he's so far gone that it doesn't register to him as being worth noticing. he's he he's aware of it, but he has no intention to to interrupt it or stop it and I love the detail at the very end because like we see on the news report that' it's like Bullock and Montoya you know the the cops are dealing with this 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 kidnapping case, but because of who Robinson Robinson was in terms of good Samaritan Gordon himself comes down to the widow and says, you know, your husband was a hero, man. We were poor for all our loss. It's it's a very brief scene. It's his only scene. It's his only line of dialogue. But like, I think that says so much of not only his character, but just like the, the kind of like the kind of real tangible humanity that this book has, you know? And then like, you know, the book wasn't about, you know, and then we we go back to like the, the horrible scene between, like, you know, Cassandra and, and Barbara, where she's talking about reading, where Cassandra does learn to read, and she wants to, learn, she wants to learn to read because that's that's goes back to the letter from the very first page. It's a ring composition, like you always like to say. So, I bet you're wondering what my grade was.
0: Yes, please. What is your grade out of ten? Cheek kisses.
2: <laughs> ten.
0: Oh my gosh.
2: <laughs> Am I killing my chances to come back? You're really insane. And yes. <laughs> I'm insane. I'm insane. What comic have you read that, that, that you know in the last twelve months? That's better than this.
0: I could probably think of several, but at this point in time, I'm talking one. about back roll number two, and I'm going to give it an eight point five out of ten cheek kisses. That's a good grade. No, no. Okay, <laughs> finally, back roll number three. Nothing to worry about here.
2: <laughs> or is there? So this issue begins with Batman, Bruce Wayne. He's in the Batcave. Uh his his the, the his chest the the chest parts of his costumes are blown out and his his knees are bleeding. And he's like, It's hard to remember how tonight started out and he's recalling that there was a bookkeeper for the mob who wanted to walk away from the life and kept all the information hidden in his daughter's teddy bear. Of course the mob instantly found out where they were, and he thinks to himself, it was the daughter of a criminal kidnapped. It seemed appropriate to take Batgirl along. So we cut to the past, essentially, where um, Batman shows up at the clock tower, and Oracle says, oh, you're checking up on our protege? And he's like, after last week, I feel it had to. And he's like, are you referring to that guy? Uh, what was his name? And he's like, Robinson, John Robinson, the man she failed to save. And then Oracle goes, excuse you? She broke into a highly fortified compound, got him out, and captured the scumbag responsible. Where's the failure? Y- yeah, but he died. But he died from wounds he received before she even known he'd been kidnapped. I don't care, Oracle. She di- He died. She failed. And the punishment for that is death by beheading. Oh, he doesn't say that. But um, Oracle uh, gives an ultimatum and says, listen to me. If you try to tell her that she failed that man, then you are not welcome here anymore. And then that Batgirl runs around saying, Mommy, Daddy, why are you fighting? No, it's like she Batgirl walks in and sees batman and oracle being very intense and uh she's like what and batman's like nothing let's let's go out on patrol so uh on the rooftop batman says wait i don't know how to quite say this but what you and i do in regarding what's at stake we cannot fail other people don't understand but even if it's impossible we still have to succeed uh, you can't understand a word i'm saying can you and she says no which is which is funny um so they are on the search for the missing girl um they run up with some other mob bosses and um the guy says to batman i'm not telling you squat everyone knows the bat don't kill and he's like yeah it's true but um and Batgirl with me can you tell that she's killed anybody and she hasn't he says i trust her not to i'd be very annoyed if she did and he like just leaves him with her then some like rhino looking guy runs up with uh some Body, uh, some facial piercings, and Batgirl wants to punch him, and it has no effect. So Batman uh, quickly surmises that it's a metahuman, and Batgirl's never gone up against a metahuman before. So he like hurls him out of a window and says simply to her, "Stay away from him." He they, they find the girl. He gives the girl to Batgirl to run while he takes care of the metahuman. They hide uh, in a van outside the the mob boss's hideout and the girl says that she's scared she wants to go home and see her dad batgirl puts her hand on the girl's face and we see a flashback memory to uh the time where david kane was training the the, the young batgirl to assemble and disassemble a, a gun uh while holding his hand over her eyes and she did it in, in a lot of time and they were both really happy and that's, that's, a, ple- that's a pleasant memory uh cut back to the present where. Uh, the metahuman is right outside of the van, and he has in his clenched fist uh, the symbol of the Batman. Uh, so Cassandra's like, oh, crap. <laughs> um, she takes on uh, the metahuman by herself, understanding to protect the girl at all costs. There's a lot of batarangs, gives a lot of neck and punches and knees, and tries to break his neck seemingly, but the guy like like hurls her to the ground. She does manage to act, uh, end up kicking him unconscious, but that takes every, that, th- that takes the life out of her, and she falls asleep on, uh, unconscious as well. Batman shows up, inspects her injuries, and simply says, good job. So he he, he goes back to the Batcave with a smile on his face, greeting Alfred, um, kind of not really being aware of his own injuries, and tells Alfred, uh, here, stitch up this teddy bear, would you? And Alfred says, yeah, I'll get on that, but you need help first. But um, he was he was received an anonymous uh, video cassette tape. So he puts in the, in the back computer, and he sees the point eye view of keyhole where a young girl uh, is in the room of uh, another mafia Don. Bruce recognizes it as as Batgirl, and he sees the young girl rip out the guy's throat. And that's the end of Batgirl issue three.
0: And what an issue it was! Da, da, da. Well, of course, the main thing I have to ask
2: is. Let's get to this scene. you want to do it?
0: What in the actual hell?
2: <laughs> you, you texted me when I was at work, and you said, what the actual F with this page? And I laughed and was told to be quiet.
0: <sighs> Boy, am I having, you know, if you can have PTSD with comic books. I'm having some right now and flashing back to a time with Huntress. And here we are. And great Scott, I mean, are you going to defend this man? I mean, before everything, like we, how, what? He, di- she, you know, she failed no matter what because she wasn't there, even if she hadn't known about it, I guess, and he died. And later on, they found out, oh, no, John Robinson died and she was sad. It would have been her fault. How are you going to defend this guy?
2: You remember when we talked about when we were doing the killing joke and <laughs> Boy, do you I. went on this. You went on the this this uh this blood curling screamed filled rant about the playing um, card the well uh there was that too. You had you had more than one. But you were really talking about how Batman was going to like take take Joker by the book and laugh with him in in in, in light of what what how the Joker violated the Gordons. And I said that I agreed with you.
0: Vaguely. <laughs> Vaguely <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's a great episode, but gosh, what episode number was that? And I'm on 178. So let's <laughs> pretend that yes, I absolutely do. You did agree with me more than I would have thought on that particular episode.
2: Yeah, no, you're not wrong here. Like this, this is this is uh, uh, uh this is crazy. I like the scene. I like I like when. <clears throat> oracle I, I like how this illustrates the two of them because oracle says listen you crustaceous cheapskate if you tell her that she feel that man you are not invited to my birthday party anymore like i like how that scene is logically confronted oracle doesn't doesn't acquiesce and says oh okay whatever you say she's she's like she's like f that this is one of those i, I feel that like this is this was this was written at a time where they were writing batman so harsh as to be kind of hard to really hard to get behind because this is, this is, this is totally unreal, unreasonable. And I feel that every time you, you throw Batman at me and says, man, he sucks. This is kind of, this is kind of the character that you kind of see in your head. This sort of like unfeeling, unsympathetic, illogical, unreasonable, borderline inhuman person who just expects the the, un, the un, impossible and the unexpected well
0: i didn't dream him up he's right here on the page <laughs> i mean i'm not coming up with a caricature i've got evidence right in front of me <laughs>
2: Which is why I feel that you must have been delighted reading this. Um.
0: Delighted? I'm reading <laughs> it. I just came off of issue number two, which was an ex- – it was a great issue. I still it an 8.5. But it was emotional. That's- and then you've got this whole thing. She obviously had this deep connection with him. And then all of a sudden Batman comes in and said she failed. I was like, you've got to be kidding me.
2: <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. And I think that Batman can be harsh. He can be strict. He can be like, like a, a – disciplinarian taskmaster this makes no sense and because because oracle throws gives every shred of evidence that how this wasn't her fault like she didn't even know the guy was kidnapped until like until until oracle did you know until batman did like he wasn't there so he so oracle says where is the failure and he says she died and i think that that is too much. in inter- I think that there can be a still... I, I like the scene that follows. We'll talk about that with them on the rooftop. But I think in illustrating both how Batman sees their their mission in Gotham and how he's different from Oracle, I can't imagine Bruce Wayne being that inflexible as to, to sound downright crazy. And it's part of the characterization of Batman that other writers have that I hate. I don't think Kelly Puckett writes him like this all the time. But like, it's moments like this where I'm like, that's just not the character. And I think too many people view him as that, that this has kind of become the standard operation for Batman. Rather than being just kind of like dark and strict, he's, he's impossible to talk to. And I think that the scene is barely justified in the next scene on the rooftop. Because it's, it's a scene between communication between him and Batgirl and leads until the end of the, the comic book. But – and I, and I like the scene that like that the Oracle's not having any of this. Like she says, "You are forbidden from coming here again. If you tell her, she failed." I think oh, that's pretty good. I just think on on Bruce Wayne's characterizations part, it's it. I wish Kelly Pucker could do better than that because because that 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 is impossible to appreciate in that way. I don't, I don't see anybody reading this and saying that he's right because that's that's just that is just so unreasonable of an expectation that like that he's that Batgirl should have been like clairvoyant in some ways in ways in which none no, none of them are. But I feel that like you've not mashed this as much as you've wanted. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you the floor.
0: I, I don't. Well, I've got another question for you. Would he have done this? Ha, would he have said this if it were Tim or Dick?
2: I hope so. You remember Robin year one or at the end of the first issue, Robin is is on his own and he stops the Mad Hatter from kidnapping those girls and because Bruce Wayne wasn't available, And then when, when Bruce sees Robin, he's like, "We'll talk about this later." And he's like, "Alfred, you were in on this too. It's all your fault." And Alfred's like, "Yeah, it's my fault that Robin saved a bunch of girls from God knows what, from a you know a psychopath who kidnapped them and mind controlled them." And then and then Bruce's like, "All right, you're right. You know, good job, Dick. You, I'm very proud of you." So like so like he has this sort of like knee jerk inclination of like if if I'm not un, in control of of your actions in, in some way, then you risk everything and that I think is a little too much because I feel that like Bruce Wayne is a person who, who kind of like needs to master control. And when it comes to his like partners, that's where a lot of frustration comes about. But this, this is unreasonable. And, and, and like like, this is to me, like, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of, um we kind of cross swords on the whole Huntress thing, you know? And, you know, we, we had our disagreements on the killer joke. I, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't, at all be against you in in this because there's no logical way i can be and still you know go to sleep at night and and yeah no uh this makes no sense and he sounds bad crazy (laughs) quite frankly but again like like like, i don't think that this is endemic of how the character is i think this is endemic of how the character can be caricatured in fairness because because like i wouldn't like the character if he was like this 100 percent of the time
0: yeah, I mean, this certainly uh, speaks for itself. I don't really need to make any sort of comments. I, I think, you know, I could have done without it. I think had that page not been in there and just had that rooftop discussion, like, I completely mm-hmm. could have gotten that. Like, that's more in line with Backroll. She's only been a couple missions out on her own as... You know, a full fledged member of the Bat family, and he's letting her know that, you know, the stakes are high, we need to be careful. But to just have that enter in his mind whatsoever you know that she failed i i think is is terrible i think it's just terrible i'm glad you know as i love this is one of the reasons why i love barbara is that she does not bow down before bat you know she doesn't bow down not the right she doesn't roll over she is going to speak her mind and i think she's absolutely right in this case and so we've got that conflicting parent thing right and and just leading up to this i, I feel like it's such a change from how he – it's not like she, he's necessarily been loving towards Cass, like loving, loving, doting. But he's not obviously yet. shown care, and this was just like a, a reversal. And so I – you know, if you got rid of that page, I think the only good thing about it is that Barbara is standing up to Batman. But everything else is just really awful, and I couldn't believe it when I read it. And that's why I took a picture <laughs> and sent it to you and interrupted you at your workplace.
2: Well, I mean, I mean I love Oracle not having any of this. Yeah saying explaining how what you're saying makes no sense she did everything that she could she didn't have a step out of line and if you tell her if you if you ruin her confidence like this you cannot be here again like i think that's as bad as batman is it makes or you know it kind of i don't want to say redeems her but like you know it's a great turn from like her you know like normal people like comment from last <sighs> issue yeah um i mean like as, as, as rough as his characterization is it, it's one of those I, I like these kinds of scenes where they're kind of like just are it's endemic about the the series like you know Batgirl or Oracle and Batman disagreeing on how they sh- how they should bring up Cassandra Kane because it, it it relates back to the theme of family and particularly with them like you know the parental figures that are guiding her to be who she wants to be or who she should be you know they are very much like, you know an arguing mother and father figure now you could have done this without this intensity but i feel that like, ultimately like, i still kind of like the scene just in terms of like what it sets out to do well, i'm not saying that oh hey stop that uh, i'm not saying that that um arguing with friends <laughs> 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 i don't think i'm arguing with you
5: <laughs> Why could you do this to me
0: <laughs> i figured while you were trying to uh trying to back Batman up, I would post on the Instagram what was going down. So I've got a record uh, of everything. Uh,
2: uh, 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 you are not welcome here anymore. <laughs> no. No, I, I, I do I, I don't know. Like like you for the when your memories of them talking about Cassandra like 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 I mean, generally like you know, there was the secret files and origins issue sure. we just did. There was the issue 1 scene and this stuff. I mean, do you not like the scenes where they're like kind of disagreeing and agreeing about who she is because i I love that stuff no
1: i
0: well i i it's i i know right for me well i guess it's a child right let's think of cassandra as a child and you want in in, as you should in well i don't mean it in an offensive way but i feel like she's very much like starting over and she is more i mean she's not 17 in my mentally i feel like um Or emotionally, I suppose. So I guess you want as much input in the child's life early on as possible. And so – no, it is interesting. I mean the the conflict – obviously I wish they could be more on the same page. But they are two different people and they're going to have different ideas of parenting. Uh, I think it was more like – I just – kind of want more nurture, I think, than than Batman has been giving Cassandra. And it does come, I will agree with you that, I mean, it gets like very beautiful, the relationship. So I definitely am not going to be... I, you know, I might give that a 10. Who knows if we ever get there. <laughs> but it's just, yeah, it's hard to watch now and I almost feel like... There's so much going on in these early issues, whereas with No Man's Land, there wasn't as much conflict. But I suppose that's because we had the external conflict of No Man's Land. So you can't really have those personal moments. But it's almost like I just really want to focus on Cass and then see where the parents come in. But it's a lot of like, you know, these parents and like how are they impacting the child rather than seeing more Cass. So I just, I, I'm just sort of trying to work through how I'm supposed to look at everything working together. And uh, the conflict is just, it's, you know, I almost, I wish they were on the same page. But yeah, it's just like another reason uh-huh. for me to get angry and annoyed at Batman, which I'm not like looking for reasons. When I see them, I'm like, well, there you go, Donovan.
5: But, you know, I'm not
0: like looking, you know, going on Reddit and can you give me examples of when Batman was a jerk? I'm not doing that. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's interesting. I mean, I guess from a, you know, stepping back in a real world perspective, like, I think about my my kids, you know, my 13 year olds and and some of them have really hard home lives. And I look at this and like this is clearly not a functioning like this is a dysfunctional family here. And so you kind of have to think about what's the impact going to be like on Cass. So I think that's where my issue is. Storytelling wise, it's really intriguing and I'm really engaged in everything. But like from another standpoint, it's like, yikes. I'm on board with Cass. How is this going to impact Cass? I really wish she was only with, she were only with Barbara, you know, that kind of thing. So,
2: Well, I mean like uh, a couple of things that you were mentioning, this is such a new character and she's so mysterious that I think the presence of both Batman and Oracle is a little required for a new series to bring readers in because we don't, we still don't know too much about her. We, we know her past, but like, I think it helps to have them help to illustrate who she is and who she will be for new readers. Considering that this is a very new character, I mean, again, this is the first ongoing Batgirl comic book that they did. So they want to kind of help bring in interest. And I think that, I don't think that like Batgirl, or sorry, I don't think that Oracle <laughs> or Batman or um Freudian slip um, are like guest stars trying to sell the book. Exactly, I think that they are, there because they are genuinely her supporting cast. I mean, like they are in the series all the time. But I think that like, this is the third issue. You kind of need them to, whereas with Tim Drake, He'd been around for a couple of years. Uh, he had his, his mini series to help flesh him out. So it, it could be justified that Batman was hardly in the series when he had his own, own book. And what
0: about Jack Nightwing though? Is... How often was Jack in?
2: Jack Drake? Yeah. Uh, he was there now and then. I don't know if you've read like like, like from, from start to finish, like, like the Tim Drake series, but like his his dad was never too far. But like, uh, so I, I think that like when you say I kind of want to spend time with Cass as opposed to like, keep on coming back to them. I feel that like that's sort of the need for the book as a new book at the time. But also, it is it, also character driven because it helps develop their characters and, and and her their relationship with Cass and her her own character. Um, take a shot every time I say the word character, folks. <laughs> Additionally, when it comes to like, um, what did you say? Oh yeah, <laughs> I. I knew that like, uh, when you said, okay, we'll be doing issues one, two, and three, I knew it was only a matter of time before we get to this. And I knew that this scene would be every bit as angriving as the Hunter scene from No Man's Land. And when you messaged me, thats I was like, at last, now we can begin... <laughs> i
0: didn't i wasn't prepared i didn't think that like this sort of thing obviously i've read this series before but i wasn't looking again i don't look for reasons to villainize villainize vilify batman but here it is
2: could have old me yeah 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 and again i i I don't say that like i like batman because he's a dick that's not that's not i think that this this is arguably out of character to, to be this this unreasonable yeah but at the same time I, I don't like the idea that like this is who he is 100% of the time and I feel that like it, I don't listen to uh most many other Batman podcasts because I just never agree with the hosts. So <laughs> when I when I come across this stuff, you know, yeah, you're right. Like this this is absolutely a thing that happened and this is in continuity and this sucks. But I try to like say that you know, this isn't it 100% of the time with this character as evidenced by the next scene, you know, just as an example.
0: Of course, yeah. Which is why I said, you know, if you excise this from the issue, I think the issue would be able, it'd be fine, and you wouldn't have missed anything.
2: Well, I, th- I think it's just kind of rewriting how he feels is, 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 would it be fine because I, I like the idea of him and her disagreeing on this instance. I just think that like his reasons, his reasons are not reasons. But if we can get to the next, the next scene where like he's where he, I mean, he's very, he's very, he's he's dare I say vulnerable with her, where he says, I don't know how to say this, you and I, with what we do, with what else, like, there's a lot of ellipses there, so there's a lot of him trying to f- form a way to express this to her, and this feels 100% in character, like, you know even if others don't understand even if it's impossible, we have to succeed I love that, like, that to me is like the Kevin Conroy 100%, you know Neil Adams Batman, and I like the, it's almost a joke where he says, you can't understand what I'm saying, can you? She's like, no um, but she does get it, um, I don't know if that's a joke or not, but like, uh I like I like that that there's a there's a there's this continuing theme of a, a failure to communicate, and I think that like that that to me is part of why I love their relationship. I love like you love Gordon and, and Barbara's relationship. I love Bruce and Cassandra's relationship. I think that's is the start of them becoming a lot more familiar with each other in terms of how they relate and how they can't relate. Are you writing on Instagram again?
0: No, no, no. It's just that one time. Well, we'll see. But <laughs> fast forwarding to the end, of course, we we have that shocking scene where Batman sees, well, from behind, you know, Cassandra and what she's about to do. And we don't know what's about to happen in issue four, you know, maybe it's a a gotcha moment like Chuck Dixon likes to do from time to time. But, you know, knowing Kane's methods, as Batman certainly does, do you think he should at all be surprised about the videotape? Do you think without knowing? what we know that this is going to impact his relationship or his opinion of Cass?
2: you know what i don't i don't know how much i should say and it's not so much heavy spoilers or whatever but like those questions will be answered on my podcast um
0: on your podcast
2: uh, no 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 um (laughs) in 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 the next several issues um it will be an ongoing thread throughout this run and i can't i can't i don't i can't in good in good conscience like speculate or theorize because i know where that goes what i will say is that understanding that like he sees he he feels that she reminds him of him in ways in which his other partners haven't to to a certain extent and how proud she, she is she is of him and how trusting he is of her seeing her as as a young girl kill somebody shocks bruce wayne to the core it's not just, oh, I knew it all along. It's, it's it, Look at his face. He's, he's like, oh, my God. So just keep that in mind. Um, do you have any thoughts on it?
0: Well, I think, you know, and, and I'm a little, you know this very well, and, and I, it's been a while. So I'll just pretend as if I don't remember at all, which is probably closer to the truth. It seems, my hope would be that he is shocked, but I think he realized that there was something lethal about her anyways with some of the, interactions that they've had in no man's land even though she didn't go for the kill i think he could tell like she knows things about it but i would hope that even though he was shocked and you know that he would better understand maybe you know where she's coming from or her origin and knowing that it's I mean he got this random videotape which he didn't even ask about but he just plugs it in there and uh (laughs) he trained under he knows all about that he was telling babs about it in issue number one so i feel like hopefully there would be some understanding and empathy but i guess we'll see what happens
2: yeah you mentioned that like he doesn't even ask about the the tape it's like two batman from question mark yeah i know yeah it's, it's like i mean he says better check this out but like uh Yeah, it's it's almost like, ooh, (laughs) what is this?
0: And then you wonder, you know, Kane's motives for doing that, probably to break him apart somehow. I will say, speaking of question mark, that one of my favorite things that happened, which is more of like, I guess, a manga-inspired thing, but when she hit the the metahuman and nothing happened it's just her in a panel with a red question mark above her and i thought that's you know so simplistic but those are like little details <laughs> that i really like like clearly she's confused and you could have probably maybe told from just the face but i think it just is able to accentuate that
2: no yeah i, I actually actually i think i failed to catch that but like that, that is yeah that's that's funny and then like batman's like what's going on well oh, she's never seen one um <laughs> What did you think about like the whole her encountering a metahuman for the first time? I wondered if it was believable
0: and I was trying to think about through No Man's Land and I feel like she would have encountered somebody but maybe not that – I mean wasn't she around with Joker? Wasn't because he, he told her to stay away from Joker but I'm pretty sure that there – and didn't she see like Croc in Wesley's
2: hospital? Well, Croc is like a mutated guy. Oh, okay. So like, you I mean I mean it. I, I mean, the metahuman is, is someone with a the metagene. They're, they're ultimately like a mutant, like from from Marvel. Whereas Croc has a skin condition that he, like, he has really sharp teeth and stuff. Croc's not meant to be. I mean, people get this confused all the time, but like he's not necessarily meant to be like superhuman Bane levels of of power. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's although he is very strong, but like from what I, I mean, I don't think this contradicts anything that we've read so far. Okay.
0: I I think it's interesting. I mean, I don't know that that'll necessarily determine. I mean, knowing Cass, she might just assume that a metahuman is someone who's really big and buff. Whereas, you know, we know that metahumans could range from anything, you know, from having super strength like this guy probably does to having a canary cry and everything. So, yeah, I I think she just has to, which is true of any hero, that you have to adapt to a new situation. And so I think this was certainly one of the few times in her like initial I think this happens frequently right where they come up against something and they can't go at it the normal way that they're used to going at there's that word
2: again normal
0: the normal way
2: that they're used (laughs) to. (laughs) normal people talk
0: yeah no the normal way they're used to going at it and so she has to find another way to do it and it just you know completely exhausts her which is I think a very endearing scene at the end too that it completely takes it out of her but she is not stopping she's protecting that girl no matter what and so that's what makes you know Cass such a great character there's that word again and a hero as well great shot
2: yeah um i mean this is the first of many times where she because as great as Grace cassandra is she gets beaten up a lot yeah. um and so be on the lookout for that did you have any thoughts about like the rooftop scene between bruce and cassandra Um,
0: I sort of talked about it before that I liked it. I thought that was a well executed scene. And I was on board with that. And uh, like you said, I mean, you went into more depth, obviously, with how it was presented and everything. But I just felt like that was the character of Batman right there, who has a hard lesson to give. And he's very impassioned about it, but he delivers it well. and, And that's, you know, that's what I envisioned Batman as being, but it's just such a stark contrast with how he was prior.
2: Yeah, because we we spent a lot of, of oxygen on like the like the previous of, of him being crazy, but like I want people who did not read this story to understand that like you know he you know a- after being yelled after being yelled at by Oracle he talks to Batgirl about you know as I said before you know like we we can't fail even if it's impossible and Batgirl takes it to heart when she knocks out the Metahuman like she has that scene in in her head and it is it is, it is, it is a really uh, emotionally character-driven scene that I think is very much endemic to the character that I love more so than like the whole she okay. failed blah 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 scene from from before. And I think that like that was that was meant to be like him making a mistake because like he's called out on in, in the comic. The comic doesn't treat it as though this is normal, it, you know. Uh, in terms of like you know reasonable expectations, it was just a little too much. But no, yeah, I, I think that, that was that to me is the stuff that I remember more than anything else. Um, what about the scene where she puts her hand over the the kidnapped girl's face and she remembers her time with David Kane? <laughs>
0: I liked how you said it was like times of, you know, happy times. I'm like, well, she is learning how to put a gun together or take it apart and put it together without looking. But that, you know, it is more of a positive moment between the two of them. And we've talked about this, that we feel like David does, in fact, love her just like in a really twisted Mm -hmm. sort of way. Or right. he shows it in a bad way. I like what, what she takes what she knows, right? And so she realized that that was and it's almost like horse with blinders, right? You want to put, protect the animal from what they're seeing and just like push on. So uh, I like that she is able to use her experience and in this case, you know, a bit of a dysfunctional experience to help that girl out, and it works.
2: Absolutely, yeah, and, and I, I like the constant theme of like children in danger. That that's always you know a big thing with, with Batman characters especially Batgirl and in, in general or specifically. Absolutely. That's all I got.
0: Yeah, I don't have anything else. What would you give this out of ten disappointed <laughs> Batman
2: glances? <laughs> okay, I won't give this a ten. And it's not because of that, you know, that scene, it's because like, you know, I, I just think that like the other ones were a lot more wholly complete. But this was I think I think this is still a great issue. I would give this an eight point five.
0: I would agree with you. Isn't that nice? I'm going to give it an 8.5 disapproving
2: glances. See, I didn't think we were going, I mean, I knew you were going to yell about this, this scene, but like, I didn't expect, I can't wait to argue with you. Just like I knew we were going to like in no man's land. So like, uh, I was very, I was very confident that we would be more on the same page. Although I guess we're not because I guess the next game for BTL listeners is when will Stella give a Batgirl issue a 10 in this run? I'll be, I'll be listening out for that.
0: You know, I feel like some biases are entering into my system or they're there. And so I feel bad for Cass. Then the reason why (laughs) – why why, why are you laughing? I'm being honest here. I feel bad for her because I'm not coming in here like clean slate. This is the first time I've ever read it, that kind of thing. The bias that's hitting me is Stephanie Brown oh interesting And so I'm looking at this and thinking like you know that's why I was saying about I wish Barbara were the only parent because you've got that really nice dynamic you've got Stephanie Brown psych and so I feel really bad because Stephanie Brown is not Cassandra Kane so it's very unfair so I just need to like step out of that and and not do that I've in no way been I mean I think that's the only time I've compared is this conflicting parenthood because I just see like Barbara and how loving she was towards Cass and being that mentor as well so she was very much oracle as well as batman wrapped up in one body uh so that's why i'm i'm trying to do so that's like my honest thing there
2: oh yeah i would i would want nothing more for you to be than honest but <laughs> i i mean you are in, like three issues and you are enjoying this title is that correct oh i
0: am and i wouldn't you know i liked it i think i read it very quickly when i first read through it and if you can remember the-, the text and everything like that we had shared then like i really enjoy it i really like the character of Cass. and uh yeah so i'm not going to inflate my grades just to, you know, get on your good side. I will be looking at it with a discerning eye. And I do know what's coming down the pike, which is why, you know, I might be hard on Batman now, but I'm I'm looking forward to seeing those those other times. But yeah, this is a great character and I think with Cassandra, and I and I know that's one of the reasons why you like her, we're looking at a completely different character, I think, than we've ever really experienced. She's experiencing Mm -hmm. issues that no other character we've really seen. Uh, She's got a tough and traumatic past, which is, of course, true of many Batman family members, but in a different way. And then to see how she interacts with Oracle and Batman and later on with Tim and Stephanie and really growing into and flourishing into a human and, I think, growing up right, mentally and emotionally uh, to really, I think, reflect that 17-year-old we're, we're going to see that, and so I'm looking forward to this journey. And actually, I can't believe I'm actually here, which is really weird. I never thought I would get this far, but no, I do really like the character of Cass, and I and I really like this book.
2: Well, I'm very happy to hear that. And and t- t- for me, I know I've said this before, but like this run is so fundamental for my love for the character. Now, now I like her whole series. I I, I don't think that the, the the two main writers are as good as Kelly Puckett, but I, I do. I don't think the series ever gets bad. But like I think that this run is so expressive and so uh, uh, artistic yeah. that it really helped. You know, like I, I get how issue one was kind of hard to get an understanding and sort of hard to read. But like kind of seeing, you know, the repeated imagery, all kind of stuff, you know, all the all the moments of silence and, and the artwork on stuff. To me, I think that like this is this is a spectacular run of comic books because aside from like the modern batgirl stuff where there's always a different run and of course stephanie's run the older stuff in terms of like batgirls backup stories or even the birds of prey like you you tend to read I, I, i'm trying to remember how many like runs of of a character that you've had like i'm not sure like the batman family stories did they always have the same writer
0: no Can you remember? no it switched yeah
2: okay so so yeah so like in in the, the accordance to all the modern stuff with chuck dixon and what have you this this is a a specific uh version of this this era of the Bat family storytelling that i think uh i hope that you continue to enjoy again as you did before because i i, I think it's it's one of again one of this and like gotham central i think are like really up there in terms of like dc's classic runs
0: yeah and we can't undervalue also the fact that this is the first time that a backroll any backroll has gotten her on own ongoing series.
2: That's absolutely, that's absolutely. So, correct. I mean
0: she's paving the way, which is something that Barbara Gordon did not do. So you know that's already something that's huge that Cassandra is able to do that that yeah, and it lasted for a while and and she's not you know the the stereotypical what you would think of being a leading lady and and so I think she there's a gr- glass ceiling right there that I think Cassandra Kane on her own broke.
2: Yeah, I was I was actually thinking about when I was rereading issue one, like when you first see her in costume, when Oracle turns around, she looks very scary. And like, I think at one point Oracle kind of like mockingly says, oh, where has the dreaded Batgirl been? It's almost like you want to call her the Batgirl, which you couldn't really do for Barbara because Barbara was a lot more human than that. So like, I, I, it's interesting kind of because people really... People who like the idea of Batgirl tend to kind of skip over Cassandra just because she is so antithetical towards the idea of the free-flowing hair, smiling, motorcycle-riding Batgirl. I think that people say, oh, yeah, there's also the one from the 90s. But, like, I think she's the best. So what do I know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, boy. Well, with that, uh, we're going to take a break. There are no listener emails, and uh, I'll be asking Donovan some other questions, so I'll avoid the uh, – Team Waffles, Team Pancakes question. <laughs> but, yeah, so we're going to take a break, and then we've got something interesting, which is the back half of, or the, the last issue of Margaret Scott's run and the first issue of Cecil Castellucci's run, so kind of interesting. So when we come back, we will review Batgirl 88, a k 36, and 89, a k 37. But first, Zaius' <laughs> Radio Hour featuring Last Hurrah by B.B. Rexa.
2: Oh, interesting.
1: I'm done with the drinking. I'm done with the smoking. I'm done with the playing. I'm done with the joking. I'm done with the ladies. I'm done with the fellas. Just saying farewell tequila so long margarita ladies lady i hate to leave ya don't want the pressure i don't need a lecture no thank you honey god bless ya i know i said it all before but it won't hurt to do it all once more this is my The drama, I'm fixing my karma One more night up your nirvana I know I said it all before But it won't hurt to do it all once more This is my last hurrah
0: Okay, we are back, and it's been a while since I've had two issues to review, but actually one of the news things coming out of San Diego, which I guess it was, as DC always does, revealed before San Diego, because DC does that for some reason, that Birds of Prey is coming back, um, and it's going to have Harley, Huntress, and Dinah, so it very much seems like a uh, let's get people hyped for the new Birds of Prey film. And it's going to be written by Brian Azzarello. So I'm a l- I, heard
2: the, I, I heard the pull in that last syllable.
0: Well, I'm a little Well, – isn't he also the one who wrote the killing joke? Um,
2: he movie? is also the one who wrote the killing joke.
0: But the interesting – I I don't know. I don't know. I guess I'll be cautious. Do you have to review thing?
2: that because, because because Barbara's not in it? I'm sorry? Do You, you don't have to review that, do oh, you? For- I
0: guess I wouldn't necessarily have to, but – hmm. I guess I'll think about it. I'm I'm concerned that it's going to be dark.
2: Yeah, it will, because that's all he writes.
0: Yeah, so I guess I could always give a couple issues a shot and then take it from there. But, okay, well, here we are. This is, in fact, Margaret Scott's last hurrah. This is Backgirl 36, or, as I like to say, 88. And not have been nice if they had kept the original numbering and then we would have totally... Gotten very close to 100, but this is the terrible finale. Writer Merrickard Scott, <laughs> why are you laughing?
2: I was confused when I saw your notes. I was like, oh, that's what that's what it's called. That's not what you're saying.
0: No, that was a terrible finale. No. Right. Pence were Paul Peltier, inker Norm Rapmund, and colorist Hi-Fi. So he didn't have. Jordy Belair on this time. The Den, Gotham Warehouse District, 5 a.m. Batgirl narrates that 90% of being a hero is about believing in yourself, even when you know something may not be true. Punching also helps. As the fire rages out of control, Batgirl fights through the crowd, literally, and tries to get the exit opened up when she is pierced by a knife in her back. Please remember this. This is a big issue for me here. The knife came from Vulture, who says that all these people must die because they are witnessed. Fox's failure and the weakness of the terrible trio. Their lives were forfeited once Batgirl escaped from the tank. Vulture, a better fighter than you would think, gets some hits in while Fox makes a run for it. He or she runs past Shark, who is crying out in need when his or her exit is blocked. Vulture has Batgirl on the ropes, and Fox hits Vulture on the head. Briefly, the two team up to get an exit, and once outside, Fox runs away. Batgirl tries to wrangle some guests up, but an explosion catches her attention, and she returns to get Vulture and Shark out. Shark is too heavy to lift, obviously, and Batgirl needs his help to leave, but he shoves her out of the way just as some of the support structure collapses. Once outside, Batgirl considers her role as a hero, but gives her catchphrase of Gordon's Don't Give Up and hobbles off to the Gordon Clean Energy meeting. She arrives hours after the meeting wearing some old school Oracle glasses and Alicia tells her everything that happened. In the midst of listening, Babs is still thinking about why Shark did what he did. In the end, Babs leaves the company thinking that it wasn't all of her and it is not where she should be anymore. Later at Jason Bard's apartment, Babs picks up her stuff and is even kind to Jason. He offers her his place, but she lets him know that her friend Dinah called in a favor and found an immediate move-in. So this is the second time that (laughs) Dinah has helped her out. Babs, that was one of the problems you had with the Burnside Run, remember? Mm Babs' new apartment, new, I put in quotation marks, is in the Narrows, where, of course, everything good happens, isn't it? With a hard landlady and poor living conditions, according to the art that we're given. She looks on the bright side of many of the bad things that have happened to her recently – Shark, Jason, Alejo, her father – and finds that they all give her hope. Next up is Who is Oracle?
2: <laughs> Wasn't the, 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 the title for the Birds of Prey rebirth title? Who is Oracle?
0: I think so. And it's also well, yeah. And then the whole – subtitle for the next issue is oracle rising and that's the name of the gra- the y a graphic novel that's coming out starring oracle so we're just reusing titles i suppose everywhere well the easy thing and the thing you like to talk about a, the a lot is of course the art and so i wondered if you had a favorite panel or page in this particular issue
2: i did which one was it <laughs> i think it's the I think it is actually the first image you have a Batgirl in this comic, even when you know it's true. Because I love Paul Pelletier's uh, artwork in this in this series. I think he's had a great run. I'm sorry that he's not continuing on; doesn't look like. And even though I think that her identity as it is with that mask is hokum, I like how I like how her hair is drawn and stuff. And I like how I like I don't know. It, it looks it's it's a cool it's a cool image. I think I think the artwork is generally great. That's probably my favorite one because I was like that was a very striking image of her.
0: Yep. I, of course, will always brag about the covers. I think that they're always a lot of fun. I I think the last page, uh, certainly, I mean, I'm always one of those people who goes for the, the cl- cliched sort of thing, but just the fact that she's smiling, as far as we can tell, and, you know, I think getting back to Barbara Basics, potentially, and, and having fun and, and being hopeful of the future, which perhaps this is the fifth time that she said it, but we'll go with it anyways. You know, that's always good. But a lot of the detail with the with the fire, I think, was really good in just her facial expressions, um, especially out in the alleyway and everything, that Gordons don't give up. I think that's a really just looking at her face and beating up, battle-damaged, back girl and... Continuing on, I mean that's the Barbara Gordon that we know and love. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see here. I got some questions. Of course, I've got my thoughts too. Let's let's go with uh, Vulture. So Vulture at the this this trilogy here. I mean, have you read the the previous two issues?
2: Yeah, I, I, I've been I've been keeping with this. Oh, this, oh, okay, this uh, okay.
0: So this we board. saw Vulture was. It seemed like she was the leader. And But she did give way a little bit for Fox and said, let's see what you can do. Um, but then all of a sudden, she, she very much uh, gets extreme, extreme. And she says that, you know, everyone basically needs to be wiped out in order to um, – show that their error is not remembered. Uh, do you think that, well, what'd you think about this? I guess that she was willing to sacrifice everybody, potentially even herself in order to wipe out the terrible trio's error.
2: I feel that if I look back at those issues, maybe this is not uh, spontaneous. That This was like kind of layered in terms of like her thought process in, pre- in earlier in the story, but it does kind of feel like, you know, like, like, a sort of like last minute the stakes are this high he's crazy kind of thing that i'm not necessarily bothered by but i don't remember that i, I don't remember that like reading that and they're like oh okay we're doing this now we're like everybody dies and that kind of just makes it harder for, for barbara i don't you know i wouldn't say that necessarily bothered me but like i wasn't um i don't know it, it it felt like a reason for the story to be more intense rather than something that like the reader could have sussed out on their own before she said it what, what did you think
0: Well, compared to everybody else, it seemed like, I don't know, I felt like it was a different Vulture, not like really, really different, but just maybe she had not come out yet as this really intense leadership role. And now when push comes to shove, here she is, because it was clear that she had the leadership and even, you know, Shark deferred to her and everything. And uh, but just the fact that she backed away a little bit from that role and let Fox do what he was doing. I almost wish that she would have taken it out on Fox and shown um, her violence there and then maybe gone for the people. But it just seemed like, whew, what a what a jump now all of a sudden now that Fox has failed and everyone, like she's going to take it out on everybody. And everyone, like that's the the extreme thing is this not Batgirl now because she had that whole thing about don't touch backgirl, not her people, but everyone that was in that particular area. So it seems like she is very much about – perception and reputation and so now that it's a bit singed to be punny (laughs) she's willing to (laughs) to scrap the whole thing so yeah. So think about keep in mind this characterization when we go on to the next issue because i'll have a question about that as well sharks move at the end you know she had barbara was really tested i mean very similar to cass against that metahuman very much tested in this physical battle and she's able to use her smarts and Uh, take him out and then she goes back as barbara does she goes back to help him out and he ends up pushing her out of the way and this is something that confuses her it ends it ends his life and she considers it a while what do you what do you make of this move that he does at the
2: end um i think it's one of the things where it was evident that batgirl's a hero and she was trying to save everybody and i don't know like like um i i I think i think it's a little it's a little bit easier to kind of suss out in terms of like, you know, in this title where he didn't want to die, but he, you know, I don't know. It, it, I'm trying to remember now the previous issue in terms of how, what, how villainous he may have been or, or not villainous. Um, I think it's great artwork, especially like the, the look on Batgirl's eyes at the end. Yeah. <laughs> I feel was one of those scenes where I, I probably have seen before. So it's like okay, so he so he saves her in the end because she tried saving him. He couldn't move, but he could save her, and it's it's that. I don't know if it's any deeper than that, which is which I think is actually nice. It's it's nice that like there are some villains who have some positive elements to them. Uh, you know, even if, they, if it's before they died. That it was it was it was a nice scene to see, I think. But I I didn't think it was any it was puzzling or whatever.
0: As puzzling for do you are you puzzled that Barbara was puzzled.
2: I mean, I guess I guess for somebody who fought her and he, he tried killing her all that kind of stuff, I guess I guess in the moment that is something that you I, – I like the detail later on where she says I can't stop thinking about it. But as a comic book reader, I'm like, I've seen this before. So I don't necessarily feel as puzzled as she does, but I get how she is.
0: Yeah. OK. And I mean in a sense, like he saved her as well. So maybe it was just Yeah, startling. she, she could have died. But out of all the – Yeah you know out of all the people though i think shark was obviously the most aggressive in terms of fighting her but fox would have been the you know if he had done a turnaround i think that would have been the more shocking of of all of them but so the other question i have i think my final question well and then i'll t- talk about scott's whole run there were you surprised at all at alicia's decision uh, or were you surprised at barbara's reaction to the decision
2: I actually like this the most. Uh, uh, the whole this is the part about the issue I like the most because her Gordon business has has, has you know messed her up and and like you know she's out and she's now broken. Her Barbara Gordon life is very Peter Parker right now. And thank
0: you for mentioning that. I will get back
2: to that. <laughs> two, two minds, though. or she's a great minds, But um, I love how she's like, oh, I can think about a shark. You know, And her Batgirl thing, which I think is very realistic for a crime fighter. And I, I just think that that's a really cool detail. So I, I like that bit quite a bit, how she doesn't necessarily mind that her name is ruined <laughs> because she's Batgirl. And that can lead to a very frustrating friend in Barbara Gordon, but I think that's a, a very believable Batgirl character. Where like at least like, Bab, say something. Scream. Swear. Anything. Are you just going sort to of let them take your life's work? And she just like, thank you, Alicia. She just leaves. I, I, I love that element.
0: Yeah, I guess it's just a chapter in her life. I think Barbara's not one, certainly, to focus on certain things. And, and she's been through so much as a character, anyways, that I think she realizes that there are always these downs and that there'll be an up following it somewhere. And so I'm not terribly surprised with her reaction. And with Alicia, I, I think it was, we were all pointing towards the fact that she was going to probably turn over because it would have been irresponsible not to. She was losing way more than she would gain. Well, It's just sad. My sadness is that sort of everything is being wiped away, and I've referred to it as sort of Thanos snapping everything away from, especially the Burnside run, but other things. And I'm wondering if, since we're getting rid of Gordon Clean Energy, it's now Gotham Clean Energy, that Alicia will also follow that, and we're just moving on to new Side characters, uh, supporting cast, and everything.
2: I'm just realizing that her costume because she has like, those like those like uh, you know Halloween party bad ears over her, you know, under her hair. Then like she's wearing a domino mask. It's it's not part of like her. It's it's not a cowl that just that, that shows most of her face. It's just an eye mask and like ears in her hair. I thought I thought it was all connected.
0: I think that might be an error. I do see what you're saying because I can see the skin.
2: Yeah, that's. that's I think that's it's supposed worse. to. I think
0: that's an art error.
2: Yeah, no, that, that that's, that's that's I can't imagine why she would do that, but uh, that that that's a tangent. I th- I think yeah, t- I mean, I, I don't I don't, I don't want to you know preempt your notes, so c- please continue. <laughs>
0: Well, it was just about Thanos snapping and everything. Just some <laughs> thoughts for me, and then you can give any other thoughts. I, I did mention something. I felt like there was a major discrepancy here, and this is of course where I put two fingers on the bridge of my nose and push my glasses up, but the whole fact that she got hit with a knife and it pierced and she was bleeding, major discrepancy because, remember when Comorant shot her in the back, she was alive. It was the same location right side, and she said about the body armor, and of course she's protected uh-huh. in the front from the knife cuts later on in the fight so why not the back so that was i had an issue with that but that's i guess a nerdy thing
2: no i, I i'm 100 agree I, I had a, at the exact same thought not only does it hit her costume it hits her cape yeah and her cape her cape was, maybe it's because the idea that like this was like one of her earlier batgirl costumes but why wouldn't she like b- built it up later on i don't buy that like in this day and age the bat family could get stabbed in the cape and bleed profusely that, that, that to me <laughs> Is maybe when they all started out and it was like, you know, the 30s and 40s and I guess 60s. But in this day and age, they would not be running around and be able to get pierced by like a a simple pocket knife. That's just not believable. Indeed.
0: You'd think Dino would help Babs uh, get a better apartment. But I guess, you know, calling in a favor, that's it. But I did like how, of course, it, it ends on a positive note there and we'll see what her run has to uh, – what the next run has to I thought to that one. was thought weird. The, the, the positive, positive note. note? That she has
2: hope? Yeah. Well, I mean like she's very low. And I'm not saying I want her to be miserable and like, you know, end it in the field position crying. But I don't know. It was, it was like – I have hope for the future. That's a good thing. I can't wait to be Batgirl again. After I, after somebody died and I was set on fire and stabbed and my my good name was ruined and like my business failed and like, I'm in the poorhouse and the narrows and my landlady hates me. And, like I just thought that that was a really cheap attempt to like not depress people. I'm not saying they should have been depressed, but like I thought that that like, kind of like really. That was discordant in terms of, like, the emotion that the story had. Because if you were to kind of, like, say how you were meant to feel throughout this storyline, I don't think you were meant to feel hopeful. I think you were meant to, to say, God, it sucks being Barbara Gordon.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, she was beaten down. But don't you appreciate at least that she's looking on the bright side of life that, hey, she is still alive and she can start a new chapter?
2: I think that that could have been done a little less jarring. I I, I don't disagree with, like, the sentiment. I I disagree with the transition. Okay,
0: well Although, I can see you there. Yeah,
2: I do love you know as she's setting her life back up, she's she, she's you know putting hammer to nail, which is very symbolic and also literal, and it's this a picture of her and her dad. I think that's perfect. Yeah. I think that 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 says more. That says more as a hopeful image than the splash page at the end. I like the splash page at the end. I think that it's good artwork. I like the image, but in terms of like the storytelling, I think the previous panel. Does a better job of that,
0: and that was certainly probably the worst thing that had happened to her, in my opinion.
2: Um, the rocky losing her relationship
0: fiction. with her dad.
2: Oh yeah, I remember listening to your your interview with Margaret Scott and her and how she, wh- wh- how she went about that, which which I think which I think uh, is an interesting idea, but um, you know, it could, it could maybe it could have not have been as tense. I was uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but like I, I I the film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I saw a couple nights ago. And one of the things that's interesting about that movie is that it's about uh, you know these two uh, people. Leonardo DiCaprio is, is an actor, and his stuntman is Brad Pitt, and they're like genuinely best friends. And the film was very long, and they go through a lot of wacky scenarios, but they never really like get in an argument or are on opposite sides. They're always friends. And I thought about how I much appreciated that you don't see that in a lot of stories these days. There's always like some sort of thing to like put them at odds. And it was nice to see friends who are just friends from beginning to end. And maybe in the next one, we won't have to have. A, a Jim and a Barbara who at some point or another are on the opposite sides.
0: Do you think, what do you think about her being in Gotham again?
2: I don't know if it's necessary. Cause like, I feel that like she really found a home in Burnside and I don't know what's driving her to be in Gotham. I and mean, Gotham already has Batman. I don't know where Damien is now with the Titans, uh, Batman, uh, and, uh, ideally the outsiders. And damn, I have, to, I have to think now who is in Gotham city. Dick is in Bloodhaven. Jason is in like Las Vegas someplace. I think the Outsiders are in Gotham City. But um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I agree that like, she shouldn't be in Burnside forever. But I feel that Burnside was kind of her Bloodhaven. And I don't see what needs to... Brought her. It feels like the current era of DC didn't seem to like the Burnside era, even though everyone else did. And they're trying to move her back away from that. And I don't know if I would agree with that. Because I, I don't need her to be like one hundred percent Babs Star artwork all the time. But I think that was a that was a good place for a Barbara Gordon backgirl, a character that doesn't make any sense. Um and I I don't think that like a modern day Barbara Gordon background I mean I talk about this all the time. Fits in at Gotham City as though, you know, as though the eighties and nineties and never happened.
0: That's what I'm saying, man, they're Thanos snapping away the Burnside Run.
2: I am inevitable. Well I guess
0: it was inevitable. I just didn't know, you know, several years ago. So, final question is, of course, your thoughts on Scott's whole run. Did you see it as successful? Did she understand the Barbara character? What do you think?
2: I personally think that there are degrees in which writers come on, write this current Barbara Gordon character, and they come up with a new character. Because they can't go back to the old stuff because the old – in ways in which the old stuff was an older Batgirl uh, who was dealing with like you know being a congresswoman and stuff. And it was different storytelling tendencies. So they can't really do that again. And also, that's that's little regression. So they constantly try to come up with things that would challenge an adult or or at least a modern Batgirl in ways which they feel would make her keep her young while also being challenging. And I think in ways, they tend to make her a very toxic character. They tend to make her angry and violent a lot. And and they think that that's, that's being kind of like fresh and new, but then it's not really. I think Margaret Scott actually had a better run than Hope Larson did. I think that like um, she had a better handle on who Barbara Gordon was. I feel that with Hope Larson there was a lot of like sort of grasping at straws whereas I think Margaret Scott gets the character a bit better. Um, I think it was overall a very action packed kind of it wasn't a dark run but Barbara was kind of like gritting her teeth and angry a lot. So there's more of that. It was more of the Gail Simone influence. But I I think this run is, is, is not too bad to be honest. I think that like from what I read that it was a better run than the Hope Larson run it wasn't as good as the Burnside run it was a more appreciable take on what they were doing, what she was doing with the Gail Simone characters. So I like it better than the Gail Simone run, but I like every, every run better than the Gail Simone run. It was good. It wasn't great, but I think it was overall pretty good. And I'm sorry that her run ended after 12 issues because I, I remember her just being very enthusiastic about it. And I don't know why she left, but I wish she stayed around just for a little bit just to kind of, just to kind of maybe come out of this sort of like trendy – T- you know way of writing back stories kind of just making them action thrillers you kind of trying try something a little a little bit easier to kind of get into so you know for for what it was i i actually kind of liked it and i, I was really really upset with what she did to be honest although i don't like james Gordon junior at all but like um I don't really have anything against her run, but what did you think about it? No,
0: I would agree. I think that it was an okay run. I mean, we we were coming off of the Hope Warson run, which was, you know, I'm going to find myself several times throughout the entire run, and it never really panned out. And just mischaracterizations, I think. And so I think that, as you said Scott had a better handle, I think, on the Barbara character. It was at times darker than I would have liked, but we were warned in advance. I mean, she said that she was influenced by Gail Simone's run, and of course we had Grotesque pop up again, Grotesque Round 2. So, you know, mm-hmm. we were warned in advance, but it could have been. It could have been really, really dark, and it, and it wasn't, and I think she was able to toe a happy medium. I, I think there were some opportunities that were lost, especially with the congressional thing. I, I think that boy, that that was a missed opportunity to potentially do something either with her father or with her, and um, I think my, my biggest thing was just bringing her back to Gotham, but I have a feeling that it wasn't in her control to do that. It seemed like it was probably DC, because here she is, you know, for the remainder, and she set up the next, uh, the next run with her settling down, so, yeah, so right. I, I think I, I wasn't unhappy with it, I would say. I think that it was pretty good.
2: Excellent. See, we're agreeing, not arguing. Your Instagram post was a lie.
0: Okay, well, I can change it. Um, (laughs) said four hours later, agreeing with friends. Uh, Grade, grade out of 10 bats on this one. I give it a 7. Okay, and I'll give it an 8 out of 10. Gotcha. Okay, finally, we are moving on to our final issue, and it is the first issue of Cecil Casalucci. I will say that I I watched – the DC Batman panel, or at least part of it, I was just fast-forwarding to see when Kasauchi actually was talking. And I took a picture on my phone <laughs> because there were seven people on the panel, not counting the moderator, who happened to be female. Tiffany Fox, I think her name is.
5: Oh, okay. Cecil
0: was the only woman on that panel. So I will say hashtag Carolyn knows. One out of seven is a woman. And the rest were one
2: of course they were. Uh, I mean, I'm wondering, like, so, like, like it was like Tom King and Peter Tomasi and Brian Hill, I imagine um, Snyder
0: and Kapoor, oh, I think, were
2: there. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I would like for like a, a woman to write Batman's ongoing title for a while. I, I think. In the team, no, 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 she did Daredevil, obviously, but like, I um, think. yeah, uh, it's it's a Little Boys Club, and it, it keeps Batman. You know, it uh. Toxic, toxically masculine character which is which is annoying
0: yeah or what was that other phrase that came up at Bowen and green hegemonic masculinity
2: uh, ah yeah good memory yeah. yeah well i mean that's that's like yeah that's that's, that's i think that's the superhero comics in general but definitely with batman yeah. yeah
0: i did want to say because we're leading into this and this is where year of the villain that's the little title card on top or the banner i guess on the issue And I had no idea what this is. I'm very out of DC Comics right now. Batgirl is really the only – and Wonder Woman are the only things I'm getting. So this is from Polygon. Polygon. Dot com. It's a good time to be bad at DC Comics as the company kicks off its Year of the Villain in an explosive way. So Lex Luthor makes an offer that none of the villains in the DC Universe will be able to refuse the power to do away with their least favorite superhero for good. So that's basically all I wanted to say about what Year of the Villain was. So that's what we're getting into. This is Backeroll 37 or 89, depending on how you like to do it. Oracle Rising Part 1. Writer Cecil Castellucci, artist Carmine DiGion, oh man, DiGion Domenico, (laughs) DiGion Domenico, and colorist, there she is, the beautiful Jordi Belair. Three stories happen simultaneously. First, in the Blue Ridge Mountains, fox, vulture, and a new shark infiltrate a state-of-the-art cave with tech galore. Now, I will say here. That upon going back to 36, it is probable that Vulture escaped while Batgirl was helping Shark. Because you can see a panel and she's awake and everything. But, in my opinion, Vulture is written rather differently. And she's very deferential to Fox. So it's almost as if Fox is taking command here. So I don't know. It's hard to believe that the new Vulture would forgive Fox for betraying her. But only Shark is named as the new guy. So there's my two cents there. So back to the re- The The Terrible Trio are hoping to find something that can get them back on their feet again when they discover a vault with even more security. Upon gaining entrance, a life-sized oracle-looking automaton awakens and asks for a password. The Terrible Trio have five chances and are unable to make any progress. While Oracle boots up for defenses, a small ship arrives that shows a hologram of an armored Lex Luthor who gives the password as the name of the device, Oracle. In downtown Gotham, Batgirl who continually keeps taking inventory of her tech fights Killer Moth who seems to be auditioning for something and is thoroughly upgraded. While well, Batgirl keeps good humor the whole time, and Killer Moth flashes back to the Silver Age while saying she's a girl and no big deal, she ends up being taken out by some techno and then she falls down a sinkhole-esque thingy. Guess that's the end of the run before it even started. <laughs>
2: Well, well, well phrase a, a, a sinkhole-esque okay. thingy, very technical.
0: Yep, yep, yep. So Batgirl's dead. This is the last first and last issue of Casucci's Run. Finally, I always knew we would end I this know. way. Finally, and perhaps least consequentially, Jason Bard waits for Babs to arrive for a hangout, but she never responded to his texts, so it's basically an empty hope. He has tickets for some strange band that I can't make out on Izzy's T-shirt, and he wanted Babs to have a fun time despite all the things that she's going through, as Donovan mentioned. Izzy who has been not so subtly hinting at wanting to go ends up snagging the ticket they meet up with a friend of jason and they hang out near the bar where it comes to light that jason has feelings for Babs clearly this is
2: a this is i'm sorry but this this is b she she's a uh Rick Grayson's love interest in overnight way
0: Thank you for that. Because when he said Rick, I thought, no, please tell me it's not that guy that was in Gil Simone's wrong. Thank you.
2: Yes, yeah, that no problem.
0: How do you think B knows Jason Bard?
2: I have no idea okay. because I don't think he shows up in, in, in Nightwing, but like a uh, yeah, like, like like she's like a the bartender where like a homeless homeless Rick has like you know been like a sing for like the entire storyline of that. i well,
0: thank you to never say that again.
2: <laughs> Next. Nancy Northcott would too.
0: Next, what's in a name? Okay, well, here we go. Art, what is your favorite panel from this particular issue?
2: The art is so interesting. I like the uh splash page, the title page, where Killer Moth is flying, and the background is kind of like, you know, there's a soft blurred effect. And Batgirl is on his heels, you know, swinging like she's Spider Man. And she's smiling, thank God. <laughs> um i think that's that's great i think the artwork is good throughout but like it's also very detailed and kind of frenetic so it's hard for me to like um really get into it, as much as the paul P- pelletier but i do like the artwork and i think that's my favorite uh example of it
0: i would agree i'm i'm always a sucker for a splash pages and yeah it's just fun to have her and killer moth on the same page again so so you keep mentioning it. let's go with it now <laughs> it mm-hmm. is barbara gordon Spider-Man.
2: Oh, is she Spider-Man? I mean, no, she's Barbara Gordon. <laughs> 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 okay, do yeah. I
4: need
0: to make myself more clear? Is her characterization similar to that as Peter Parker's Spider-Man?
2: Well, didn't you used to say that she was, you know, the female DC version of Spider-Man? I certainly Wasn't that
0: did, yeah. I felt like we got better, but now we're really getting back to that.
2: I mean, I feel that, like, that's... I think, in your view, if she's been that way in your mind for years, then this is, like this would imply that this character is being written well, right?
0: If I wanted her to be like Peter Parker, sure.
2: Which I guess you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I see, I see, I see. You're saying that, like, you know, everyone's saying where's Barbara, while she's, she's super hearing it up, fighting um, killer dork,
0: I guess. And keeping track of things, because now she's poor. Keeping inventory is very similar to him, like, oh, no, my web shooters are out, and it's going to be really expensive, and
2: I don't have any – I mean <laughs> –
0: that – taking inventory the entire fight, I thought, what is going on?
2: Well, I like that because, like, you don't – I feel that they should know where the bat, rings go. I mean they can't just, like, leave oh, those well, things around. Oh, that's true. But they
0: yeah. But like I felt like hers uh, was not necessarily out of safety. Where has this been before? It's been out of, like, I don't have too many batterings. I've got to keep track of
2: them. I, mean, I suppose that that is I, – I didn't read that as, like, this is an element – this is an indicator of her you know, lower income status. I mean I don't know why she can't just drive to Wayne Manor and get some. Like seriously, um, or have Alfred mail them? But I, I you know, I, I really didn't. That really didn't come across to me as like this is an all new, different Barbara Gordon. It felt like they're just trying to write Barbara Gordon as the working gal superhero, and uh, I dug that. It is Spider-Man like, but I thought you know Spider-Man's template works for a lot of characters.
0: Okay, well I'm glad you're satisfied. <laughs> but I did like. I mean, I liked her uh, her quips and, and that she was like. This was, I think, a lighter barber than we've seen for a while, though. So I did very much yes. enjoy that. I think it was just the inventory and everything. And she's living, you know, in the narrows. I thought, oh no, it's happening. But
2: I, I, I suppose you have a question about um, yeah, her voice. Uh, so I'll, I'll leave it to you. Never mind.
0: Oh, her characterization or how she's yeah. written. You mean? Mm-hmm. Well, we can certainly tackle that now.
2: Yeah, I I I really liked her voice in this. This to me felt felt right uh for a Gordon cord Batgirl. I I still think that like the, I think writers have a, have a mix between trying to write her as Oracle who's an adult woman and, and their idea of Batgirl, which is like Terra Strong for the anime series, or um, Yvonne Craig. But I don't know, it's it's, it's like a, I think it was a little much like Killer Moth, what a joke, because she has such history with him that I feel that like she of all characters probably wouldn't underestimate him, but she does. Part probably the, probably the writer does. I don't know. She was so she was so like grim dark in the previous runs. I like I like a, a back girl who is just more naturally lighthearted. I mean, I th- I think Barbara Gordon can be grim dark. If I I think she has been for a while. That's, that is her character now. But I like this where this was just a little bit more, just less stressed out, just much much more relaxed. That that felt much more at home without it being commented on. Like wow, I sure am in a good mood. Is like this felt like it was this was sort of natural to her to who, how she should, should be, and I, and I dug it
0: i think it's interesting that she underestimates killer moth and because of the fact that he underestimated her in the past and even now he makes that clip about her being a girl so i think it almost like comes full circle but no i i think she is certainly more joyous and she's not i mean she obviously understands it's a threat and everything but she she takes it Uh you know somewhat lightly and and has fun with it and She's also smart, though, in, in how she's trying to engage him in the battle. And so I, I do think that this is a different one than we've seen. Like, her voice, I think, is is more different. So I wonder if, like, this will be a breath of fresh air and we'll have her more positive throughout. Or, you know, is she going to be beaten down again, as as often happens?
2: I mean, yeah, they may be setting up for a horrible fall. But, like, um, I don't know. This this was like – it's it's like – It's the closest to Burnside's characterization that I think it's been uh, in in years, which which is like two runs ago or three runs ago.
0: (laughs) I was just trying to think. Because we compare it to Burnside a lot. And so I wonder, like, is that sort of the – like what we hold up as what Barbara Gordon should be? And I wondered if that was fair or
2: not. Well, I think – Barbara Gordon should be how she was in Cassandra Cain's Batgirl title, <laughs> um, but we can't have that. Mm-hmm. So the, my my conflict is always how do you write Barbara Gordon as Batgirl now because she's had so much character development. You want her to be Batgirl, she, um, so and how do you portray her age because they want her to be young. Yeah. So there's always like how do they do that, and every writer has different ideas. Burnside Batgirl made it to where even though it was very very millennial, I felt it was fun. And I thought Barbara was was characterized correctly. It, it, it didn't try to make her too grim, dark, and over the top to, to make her like her because, you know, I, I, I think there's also an element – I probably shouldn't say this. But, like, there's also an element of, like, if she's violent and aggressive, it kind of – I don't know. It, it, it like – there's a lot of, like, like conversations in terms of, like, feminist politics with Batgirl as a character. And, and like, I think that, like, make her kind of more aggressive does is, – is sort of maybe seen as a service to – justify her being around I guess but like I don't want to speak too much of that because a I've not read everything two, it's not really my place to start that conversation and three I don't want to lend I don't want to lend, lend the idea that like if she's not acting traditionally feminine she's not a woman or that like that so I should probably drop it but I think that the Burnside run felt the most ne- it felt the most like 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 um you know, natural and at ease with depicting her as a character. I don't. I don't think she's the same character in that run that she was previously. But I think that she's it was close enough, and everything else has been trying to be as good as that. And I think okay. this one gets the closest to being that, just in terms of how she's written, personality-wise.
0: Hold on, I've got Carolyn on the other line.
2: Um. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I I I invite her to to to, to uh, disagree because I I, I want to learn, I, I, and I know that i like, I'm, I'm speaking with. Um, not as much information at the helm, so I don't, I don't want to speak out of pocket. Yeah, and you're speaking um, with a wee-wee? <laughs> it's it's, it's <laughs> not in my hand. Just-
0: <laughs> okay. Anywho, I, you know, it's hard for me sometimes because I look at this Barbara and we're told that she's got the same history, but it's clearly not. And so I think that's why there's almost this lack of gravitas with the character, you know, because – the oracle that we just read, you know, five hours ago, is has gone through <laughs> so much that of you know she's not the bubbly effervescent Barbara that we see here, and perhaps for for good reason there. But it's, it's sometimes hard though, right? Because we're told she went through the killing joke and everything, but she didn't have that oracle past, and yeah, it's interesting.
2: I don't. And then she did, and it's just like it's 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 it's. Like, like there a there's a news release. They said that DC is going to take time out to uh, fix their continuity. And I'm like, you're just now doing this. Yeah. Like, that's not good enough. And and like, they clearly don't know. They don't know who Batgirl is. They're not. They're not. There's not an editor saying, this is who Barbara Gordon is. Um. So and that's that's bad because you're trying to have a swallow of this idea that she has to be Batgirl. And we have Stephanie Brown back. We have Cassandra Cain back. We have, I almost said Hope Larson. Um. A Harper Row as a character. I I don't. I was on Earthsea.net talking about Batgirl Year One, much to your chagrin.
5: Oh
0: and, um, What betrayal of all betrayals!
2: <laughs> you don't even know who they are. <laughs> and um, we were talking about like why does it? Why is there multiple romans but not? But there can't be multiple Batgirls anymore. Like why? I don't. That's never been explained. You know, I understand not making her paralyzed because Bruce Wayne was paralyzed until he wasn't. I think that's a perfect argument that Gail Simone had. There, there's not a good enough argument to say that like she has to be the only one. While we have multiple Bat Women running around avoiding that mantle as though, it, you know, it's like this seems reserved. I, I, it's just not. That conversation is always a, a, a one that ends with a you know because you know, and it's it's for pure Silver Age nostalgia, I think. But I I I, I don't want to pollute your podcast with that anymore. I
0: don't think they want, they want more have. women than they can handle on the page. You think it's? Uh, hmm.
2: I don't know. I don't know. Why, why, why do you think they want to keep her being Batgirl? Oh, Barbara. Right.
0: Because she's the most recognizable and they're playing it safe.
2: But it's not like they have a backgirl cartoon or row movie out more than anything else. I mean they still I mean they brought back Kyle Rayner as Green Lantern, so like they could do, you know like the Green Lantern core book, which they had, which I thought which I really liked was like how Guy, John, and Kyle Green Lantern it up. Um, you know, Gail Simone's always thought that like, a Batgirl's plural title would work. Of course. Um, because she, she, she's just so hard to define and characterize, and it's easy to get her wrong when she's just on her own as Batgirl. If she has the context of her protégés, like Stephanie and Cassandra, then it's far easier to write Barbara Gordon, I find, if you are going to do a Batgirl thing. Because she has to be the first and the most experienced. Otherwise, it's like, oh man, I can't balance my normal life. With, like, Of course you can, you're an adult, so I don't know. I I, I am drawing us away from the comic book, and I apologize.
0: Well, this is, I guess, guess a discussion to have for another time. What do you think about having the terrible trio return? Yeah, thoughts on Vulture's characterization also. But, yeah, just the fact that we just finished a run with them, it seemed like that was at an end, and then they pop up here again.
2: It was amusing to me that, like, they pop up right back up in the very next arc. And usually villains do that to get killed, but, like, they seem to have a purpose here. Um, I like the terrible trio. I like them in this run. And I, kind of, I was like, oh, cool, they're still here. That was, that was actually kind of pleasant to see. I laughed when they were in their, like, you know, very realistic animal masks in, like, astronaut costumes. Um, this is a very bizarre image. I don't see how Vulture can see because a Vulture's eyes are, like, on opposite sides of his head. <laughs> yeah. But I, I was I was pleasantly surprised to see them again. And, like, uh, I don't think that Batman's D-listers being related to a Batgirl title is, is necessarily, like, you know, a comment on her character, like, you know, Tim Drake fought Massey Zeus and stuff. So I like the fact that these these recognizable dealers have a home and they can be they can kind of level up and become a lot more uh of a threat and start off with a storyline. So I I thought they were used very well. Vulture's characterization, I, I actually didn't pick up on that too much. Okay.
0: So I just wondered if you think it's the same Vulture or
2: not. I didn't think that it wasn't. Okay. And um I think when I was listening to you synopsize it, I thought that like that was a that was a good point. So but again like they mentioned that it's a new shark not a new vulture mm-hmm. so i think it's just the writer um uh getting started on this run maybe before margaret scott's uh, run ended sure that's so. true yeah.
0: and then final question of course is with
2: jason bard
0: so he comes to a realization we it's been building i've sort of sensed that something was brewing and then all of a sudden he needs to have two women tell him that clearly he has feelings for barbara gordon at a rock concert by the bar uh, pfft, thoughts on you know this development
5: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to say
0: thoughts you know if we were in the 70s i'd be ecstatic but we are not this is a completely different jason bard so what, what what do you think about this character what do you think about this journey that he's been on really trying to ingratiate himself with barbara for a long time it seems
2: i thought it was only a matter of time and it's only a matter of time before this goes somewhere, and he tries to redeem himself, and they get in a relationship, <gasps> and he d- he makes a mistake, and she dumps him, and she's like, "I can never love again," and he tries to redeem himself, and then he dies. Oh
0: my! So you think or they will, in else. fact, enter a, re- a relationship?
2: I mean, she has a boyfriend every every arc, right? <laughs> yeah. She had Luke Fox in the Burnside run. She had Kai in that first run, and then later oh, on, it was she like. I hate you! We don't speak of him. Then, then like the the penguin son and then she kissed uh, Dick Grayson again, which is what she should be doing.
5: Yeah,
2: thank you. And <laughs> uh shout out to Nancy Northcott. And in this one I mean I Jason Bard is a historical love interest, so I have no problem with it. I know he's a different character, but I think that like it's it's I don't know, it's 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 doesn't particularly bother me unless she unless he's like shooting up heroin and she's like what are you doing how could you do that let's go what do you want to go eat tonight and be dumb like that but i think that I, I feel that like this was this was sort of like telegraphed that like he that he was going to you know fall with her because everyone loves barbara I, I mean literally in the dc continuity barbara gordon is seen as a very attractive person that people can easily fall in love with it's like donna troy so i was not surprised
0: do you disagree with that
2: disagree with
0: the fact that people do you think that she's she's not as easy to fall in love with as they portray?
2: No, she's gorgeous, um, and like and she's very smart, and she is very athletic. Like, no, I, I think Barbara Gordon as I don't think she's like a banger supermodel knockout like a, like Starfire, who really was a model, or let, let's say Vixen, or Zatanna would be, or Wonder Woman. But I do think that like in terms of like a girl next door type. No, she, she she is she's a dime, <laughs> um, and I think that like it makes sense. I mean, I, I think that um, you know, like, like uh, it was implicit that Jason Todd had a crush on her when when he was Robin, she was Batgirl. I think that you know, there's a lot of there's a lot there's been old stories where like, I mean, I'm, I'm not not the Gams issue, but like you know, villains have commented on how attractive she is. So I think that that's kind of a thing. It's like Nightwing's ass, <laughs> you know. It's like one of those things that like that's kind of brought up in the continuity of, of the books that like you know and barbara gordon can kind of get it can't she <laughs> she's she's really hot and i think that like because of her personality and her kind of you know go-getter characterization i think i I don't think jason had a chance in terms of falling for her
0: that's too bad i did ship them at one point <laughs> it was during um eternal i thought
2: yeah, but, but you, when you say it's too bad you're, you're like you, you don't like seeing have a people chance as you said oh, okay yeah okay i mean did you did, did you did you find it surprising that people might just naturally fall in love with her
0: no but the way you presented it it sounded like you were surprised
2: oh no 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 i i, I, I was i was i was kind of on the clock I just, it's kind of like if i was cyborg saying it's about time
0: <laughs> oh boy or that lady at wild cards yes My favorite episode. (laughs) Anywho. Uh, Yeah, you know, I guess my problem with it is it's not the Jason Barr that I have loved in the past. Uh, He is making, you know, just like Cass, he's making steps to become a different character. So I, I guess I shouldn't hold, like, judgment and everything against him. And I've just also been very burned in the past with how writers get, barbara in relationships because they just seem like they're poorly thought out and so i want to be sure that yeah it's it's well
5: done
2: they're for the sake of the relationship not for the sake of the characters Yeah,
0: and so i guess if it's a slow burn and we can see how it happens i mean it, it has been to a certain extent he's been trying to ingratiate like i said himself towards her he was really nice and got herself off the street he offered her a place to stay so we'll see but um i don't want her like Cause she's work. She's kind of warming up to. I mean, she was very cold. She was like hateful, cold. She's kind of warming up to him. So I hope that it'll be a little bit, and maybe it'll have some likes. But yeah, I guess we'll
2: see. She has a tendency in this in this rebirth era to like fall for guys that she thinks can be redeemed mm. with Kai and stuff. Not so much with Dick Grayson. Like that's that's, that's not that's not what fuels their relationship. But like you know, I think she has a tendency for like projects isn't what that have you.
0: like a dangerous thing aren't we told not to do that in real life yes interesting i guess it's a real <laughs> thing
2: but yeah they've been like well, bad I mean, guys so he could have a crush on her and she could not you know it could be unrequited that would actually yeah. be more interesting
0: yeah yep 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 well i missed detective nick back in the uh the stephanie brown back row run
2: oh yeah he was so hunky
0: well and it was just cute it's the repartee. well this is the first issue out with castellucci so what do you think
2: uh, I, I think it's well done. I think it's well done. I think the writing is all good. It, it doesn't it doesn't grate on me. I don't find it to be pretentious because I'm I'm such a great writer. Um, I think that uh, I, you know like like Killer Moss like you know you're just a girl thing. Even in 2019, I know that like, I'm not saying there are no you know, no sexist men. God knows they're not, but like that feels a little like too stupid for him. Because uh, like she just, she's not just She's a she's a bad family member. She's been around for years. So like I, that feels like, like her underestimating him. It feels it feels just a little bit like ah, I don't know if I would I would write that. But uh, but otherwise I really don't have any problems with this. Um, I think it's an intriguing storyline. I think that Barbara's written well. I feel that, like this storyline is not trying to flex a muscle in terms of you know this is the problems that she's dealing with in the here and now. It feels very. You know, this is a superhero comic, and this is what she's doing. This is her character. So, I think the supporting cast is interesting. Um, so, yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I uh, this is the. I think this is the first issue because I had problems with like the first use of Burnside Run, the first Batgirl issue of a new run, where nothing really jumped out to me as, as problematic, mm. and I'm happy to see that.
0: Yeah, I think it, it plays plays it pretty safe. I'm gonna reserve, I think, judgment until we get a little farther along into what this happens. The Oracle teases. That's, I think, my my main, like, ugh, you know, we've got to do this sort of thing again. Um, and I just wonder what it will pay off to, you know, I don't know. I guess I just wish it were never this side identity, but it actually, or, you know, this other thing that's out there, but it was actually pulled back into Barbara's history, but I guess we'll see. But, yeah, writing-wise, I didn't, you know, cringe at anything that was being said, and uh, I will keep hope, uh, optimistic as to what this run will do so
2: isn't that nice up <laughs> uh, being optimistic well also like you, you know ah uh, i read that and i and nothing bothered me it's like reading current spider-man it's honestly it's honestly like like man, that was pretty good and, and nothing got on my nerves
0: well that's i mean when you're attached to these characters and you've been burned so many times before it's like you know I you know. go up you wear your chainmail bike and <laughs> you prepare for battle <laughs> and you're like
2: shout oh. out to wally west <laughs> Sh-
0: shout out oh no are you talking about heroes in crisis
2: I'm talking about heroes in crisis. Yes, that that rent the DC fandom asunder. And Tom King knew it.
0: That he well, he probably didn't know it was about to happen. Uh, well, what would you give this out of 10?
2: Give yeah, the last issue 7. This is a
0: 7.5. I would agree. I think and give it a 7.5, which is a little lower than the other one, but just uh, just to get my feet a little warm as to what's happening here. So. Jeez. Okay. Well, next is Chris's Cornucopia of Curiosities.
6: Ah, that's like surviving the dog days of summer with a cold drink when you're in the home stretch of a great podcast. Thank you very much, Stella. Hello, Batfans. Welcome once again to the Chris's Cornucopia of Curiosity segment. Thank you very much, listeners, for downloading. And as always, thank you for not fast forwarding. My name is Chris, and I am very glad to be with you. Today I'm covering Batman Adventures number 22, and in the Night Watch segment, Nightwing number 62. Batman Adventures number 22 was originally cover dated July 1994 and cover priced at $1.50. For this one, we had our usual creative team of Kelly Puckett as the writer, Mike Perbeck was the penciler, Rick Burchette was the inker, and Rick Taylor was the colorist. The Batman was created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger. This story was reprinted in The Batman Adventures Volume 3 and appears to be available on Comixology. I'm not sure if this is available on the DC Universe app or not, and our story today is entitled Good Face... BAD FACE Act 1. Harvey doesn't live here anymore. By tricking a guard with a made-up double in a bed, Two-Face tricks a guard and escapes from his cell. The Joker tries to convince Two-Face to let him out as well, but he loses the coin toss, and he's reminded by Two-Face not to call him Harvey. Later, at Wayne Manor, a weary and unshaven Bruce Wayne listens to audio tapes of Harvey's psychiatric reports. Alfred tells Bruce he must rest, to no avail. Meanwhile, at Gotham State Penitentiary, Two-Face stages an explosion and, disguised as a fireman, breaks out a man that Harvey Dent helped send to prison in order to form a gang. And, back in the Batcave, Batman thinks Two-Face is halfway there. Act 2. Nor Iron Bars a Cage Batman goes to Gotham's other prison, but Two-Face is already there. And, in a secondary control room, Two-Face opens cell doors and prisoners attack Batman. Batman takes them out with his fists and gas bombs. Commissioner Gordon and the GCPD officers capture some escapees, and Two-Face is seemingly captured. But Batman knows that he's a double, and he confronts the real Two-Face in a guard tower. Batman has Two-Face's gun, but Batman has Two-Face's coin, and he says he can't decide anything on his own, and he needs the coin to do so. Two-Face collapses in a mental breakdown, and Batman, knowing that Two-Face will get another coin, keeps the one he has as a souvenir. The End Okay, for my notes for this one It is appropriate that Two-Face appears in issue number 22 Two-Face crossing paths with the Joker during an escape would be reminiscent of similar incidents that would happen twice in the 1970s once in the Joker, number 1 and again in Batman number 258 Names of the escaped gang members are plays on words of comics professionals such as Tim Bruce for Bruce Tim and Pasty Marco for Martin Pascoe all little nice touches as for the story itself well for me this one never quite gets off the ground two-face never fully realizes his plan nor fully assembles this gang and what gang he assembles takes a little bit too much of the story and speaking of the second gang they're drawn not in their prison uniform garb but in civilian clothing seemingly after their escape and i ask myself how the artwork, though, is very good. In particular, there's a splash page of Two-Face that seemingly scares the Joker, and when a prison guard shines a flashlight on Batman. It's really the artwork here that's the high point of this issue that, for me, left me wanting twice as much. If 5 out of 10 is an average score for a book, I'm giving Batman Adventures number 22 6 out of 10 bats. Now, for everyone's favorite segment within a segment, Nightwatch, where I review the current Nightwing title from a shipper's perspective. Nightwing number 62 is cover dated September 2019, and is a Year of the Villain, the Offer crossover. Well, after not being present in the previous issue, Dick, or Rick Grayson's current love interest B, not only appears on the cover with Rick's arm around her as they walk down the street, and... Not only does Rick reveal to be his role in the current Nightwings and that he was the original Robin to her, but they are later seen in bed together seemingly nude. Yowza! Bad news for Babs and Dick shippers out there, but if there are any B fans out there, this issue is a major milestone for you. So, for Nightwing number 62, this is a major, repeat major, shipper alert. This concludes this edition of Nightwatch. Listeners, don't forget Stella can also be found on the Required Reading Podcast. I'd like to give a shout out to my friends, the Sutherlands. Be sure to check out the Whirler Worlds, Trucker Talk, Xenozoic Xenophiles, Sensational Sleuths, Fantastic Fantasies, and Convention Correspondence Podcasts. Listeners, you can also find me on Twitter at BTO and Batbooks. That's BTO, as in Batgirl the Oracle, and Batbooks for Beginners. The Batbooks for Beginners podcast is another podcast that I can be found on, that I co-host with my pal Jerry, where we examine and review trade paperbacks and collected material of Batman or related characters. You can also find us talking about independent comics, other titles, movies, and whatnot on The Professor Frenzy Show. Please check out those if you're not doing so already please feel free to leave any comments for myself on this segment or for the podcast on the TBU website. And please consider giving us a good review over on iTunes. If you'd like to lend your support to the Batman Universe website that has news, articles, editorials, and a fine family of podcasts, you can make a donation on Patreon or a one-time donation by PayPal by following the links on the Batman Universe website homepage. Thank you very much for your support. Will Chris ever cover Batman Adventures Annual Number one? And if so, when? What pretty poisonous person appears in Batman Adventures number twenty three? Who can possibly persuade to aid him for a much needed antidote? Don't fail to listen to the next podcast where the answers to these perennial, perpetual, pertinent, persistent, poker face, perplexing petite peculiars will be perceived next time. Same Stella feed, same
2: Stella Sight. Oh, that's like dipping into a full bowl of ice cream and not getting freezer burn in your brain. Hello, everybody. I'm Chris.
4: (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Chris. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, I have not had time, so there's no anime watch list this time, but I have read some books. But I will turn over to my book-selling buddy, Donovan, to give some of his literature recommendations.
2: For this episode I shall recommend um as I remove uh the gift that silly got me the power by Naomi Alderman on my, which is like right up from my to read pile right here. The book I'm recommending is All Eyes on Us by Kit Frick. It is a YA romantic thriller where there are two couples, a kind of like golden power couple uh, in, in seniors of high school. And in another school, a girl and girl couple, a Yuri couple, as <gasps> it were. Uh, <laughs> and um, there is a mysterious person, an anonymous person who is texting them saying that like, they, they are about to lose everything. The, uh, the lesbian uh, student is in the closet with her parents who are, are a part of a fundamentalist Christian church who actually are, have, their, have their hands in like um, uh, gay conversion therapy. And so she is seen going out with uh, the Golden Couple's boyfriend often. So he is cheating on his girlfriend with her, but he's, she's just using him as a beard. But somebody found out her secret and is blackmailing them. Who can it be? I read this because uh, Kit Frick is married to a friend of mine, Osvaldo Ayola, who is a former professor of, of New York University and runs the comic book blog website, uh, The Middle Spaces. It's very, very, very very intelligent guy and a very talented writer and i read kid frick's previous work uh oh gosh what was it called it's like all the stars i believe it's i I want to get this right her previous work was all the stars. yeah see all the stars So I read this. This, These are different stories, but um, she's is a you know what as a YA writer, and I would not say that I'm usually a YA reader, but I found both works to be very readable, kind of very kind of very very entertaining, and I think that even though I may not like many of the characters, um, it's 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 a very engaging read, and I would recommend that. Is that all you have? What else have I read? I read um, Little Fires Everywhere. Oh by yes, Celeste. yes, yes. You, have you read that? Oh yeah. Oh cool. When did you read it?
0: Maybe last summer, I think.
2: Okay, yeah, because I know it's new relatively. I remember actually when it came out, and like it was selected for the book club at a minute at a at Barnes and Noble. I read that, and I dug it. I dug it. Um, I thought it was a very intriguing story. I like kind of the the the, the uh, dichotomy between the kids and the mothers. And it gets into issues like uh, interracial adoption and stuff, which is interesting for us because one of the people in our book club literally adopted a, a baby from China. Um, so I was always wondering how she, how she thought in reading this. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought it was I thought it was pretty solid. Um, and what else should I recommend? Oh, oh, I know what I can remember. I've, I've been have been reading this for months, and it's not a very long book, but like uh, I've been pretty busy. So I've been reading uh, EC Comics, race, shock, and social Protest by Kana Witted. Uh, she writes about EC Comics in the fifties, around the time of the Senate hearings in which the Comics Code of Authority was brought in. After Frederick Wortham said that comics were contributing to juvenile delinquency, and EC Comics was a uh, a company which did a lot of horror magazines, a lot of war magazines, and people were saying these are too violent and too awful for kids, but. Surprisingly, they were very, very, very socially progressive. And so if you follow my Instagram account, you'll see me post excerpts from the book, including some images of uh, old school easy comics talking about racism and talking about like uh, science fiction, how race would be in the future. And it's a terrific read uh, that I would very much recommend. So I recommend those three books.
0: Okay. I won't recommend anything that would go against your first recommendation. (laughs) I read two interesting, uh, interesting, nonfiction books about things, but I've decided to not keep those. Uh, Do not recommend them publicly. East of Eden by John Steinbeck was my European read. In his journal, Nobel Prize winner John Steinbeck called East of Eden the first book, and indeed it has the primordial power and simplicity of myth. Set in the rich farmland of California's Salinas Valley, Valley, this sprawling and often brutal novel follows the intertwined destinies of two families, the Trasks and the Hamiltons, whose generations helplessly reenact the fall of Adam and Eve and the poisonous rivalry of Cain and Abel. Steinbeck's quickly becoming potentially my favorite author. I'm almost interested in reading all of the things that he's written. But this was yeah, this was very engaging and some terrible characters in there. And I go in now with any of Steinbeck's books, expecting it to not necessarily have a happy ending, but to see some beauty in the different things. And so this one is is similar to that. Then I read all of Strangers in Paradise. I thought it would take me the whole summer, but it took me four weekends. Yes, this is by Terry Moore. So volumes one through 19. Tom Paneris has very graciously lent me his XXV. I have yet to read. I'll read that tomorrow. The story primarily, yeah, talk about Yuri. Am I right? The story primarily concerns <laughs> the difficult relationship between two women, Helen Francine Peters, referred to as Francine throughout the series, and Katina Marie Kachu Chuvansky and their friend David. I know, and their friend David Keen. I'll say. Francine considers Kachu her best friend. Kachu is in love with Francine. David is in love with Kachu. A relationship with Kachu herself is deeply conflicted over. The love triangle, which later expands into a love rectangle with the introduction of Casey Bullock, who marries Francine's ex-boyfriend, Freddie Femer, terrible character, and later divorces him in order to pursue both David and Kachu, alternates with the mystery and intrigue regarding Kachu's past as an underage lesbian hooker. And the Parker Crime Syndicate, run by David's lesbian sister, Darcy. The Parker Girls work for the shadowy Big Six organization, an international crime syndicate with influence over the world of politics. Parker Girls are highly trained women used by organized crime to control, manipulate, spy upon, and ultimately kill men and women in positions of power and authority for the Big Six. The entire time, I kind of knew about these people. And as a shipper, I was like, okay. I'll just wait. And, you know, first you're getting to know the characters and then you're like really investing in the characters and then I'm just waiting for the characters to get together. And so at one point I texted to Tom and said, can you just tell me when it's going to happen? And he said, volume 19. And you, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I have to get through all of this until they're finally together. And it's true. I mean, it's it's... My gosh, it's frustrating. Some of the things that happen. I mean, Kachi does something that's like, why did you do that kind of thing? And who but ups and downs. Um, you think it was like a straight romance, but it's not. It's got these political intrigues. It's got some suspense and everything. And I, I'm just now, you know, at the fact that anything that Terry Moore does, I'm going to absolutely love. So there you go. I finally read Strangers in Paradise.
2: That's awesome. Uh, I, I, I read that. Many years ago, not not the whole series, but I, I remember reading like I think a trade at, at a bookstore, and I don't really remember it too well. But I remember really liking it. You know, Jr. has read that too. Yes,
0: I remember he was a big fan.
2: Yeah, it's it's actually actually really a solid series.
0: Uh, I am currently reading. The second part of this little trilogy here. I'll start with the first part. The Rosie Project by Graeme Simsian. The art of love is never science. Meet Don Tillman, a brilliant but socially inept professor of genetics, who's decided it's time he found a wife. In the orderly, evidence-based manner with which Don approaches all things, he designs the Wife Project to find his perfect partner. A 16-page scientifically valid survey to filter out the drinkers, the smokers, the late arrivers. Rosie Jarman possesses all these qualities. Don easily disqualifies her as a candidate for the Wife Project, even if she is quite intelligent for a barmaid, as he says. But Don is intrigued by Rosie's own quest to identify her biological father. When an unlikely relationship develops as they collaborate on the Father Project, Don is forced to confront the spontaneous whirlwind that is Rosie, and the realization that, despite your best scientific efforts, you don't find love, it finds you. And that leads into the book I'm currently reading, which I will finish today, The Rosie Effect, by Graeme Simsian. Don sets about learning the protocol called the becoming a father, but his unusual research style gets him into trouble with the law because he was watching kids at a playground and videotaping them. Fortunately, his best friend Gene is on hand to offer advice. He's left Claudia and moved in with Don and Rosie. Uh, So that's that. Yeah, so it's clear that Don is like somewhat on the spectrum or at least Asperger's. And so reading him is like, it's almost robotic, but it's like hilarious and anything hijinks ensue constantly with with dawn and um yeah but it's also very sweet and everything and the last there's a third one but i have yet to. i'm on hold at the library the final thing i read was master and apprentice by claudia gray which was recommended by carolyn coca a jedi must be a fearless warrior a guardian of justice and a scholar in the ways of the force but perhaps a jedi's most essential duty is to pass on what they have learned master yoda trained dooku dooku trained qui-gon Jin, and now qui-gon has a padawan of his own but while qui-gon has faced all manner of threats and danger as a jedi nothing has ever scared him like the thought of failing his apprentice and then it does go on uh th- this was really interesting obviously you get to look more into that relationship and i think to a certain extent the author is able to delve into some controversies i think that people had finding out that dooku and qui-gon sort of had some more ideals so we get to look into qui-gon more and so that was good so those are my uh recommendations I've just been speeding through these readings since I've had some free time so
2: yeah I'm trying to catch up I I'm, 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 I'm about to start this I heard it's very short uh, for the next book club true grit uh I've not the read Western? that or seen yeah 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 okay. I've not read that or seen the films but uh, I I will be reading that within the week okay
0: well before the questionnaire dawn would you like to tell people where they can find and support you in cases the last time they hear from
2: you you can continue to enjoy me at uh, qnoanswers where myself and my partner in rhyme, Harrison Chute, uh, run the podcast, the social political podcast. Questions we don't have answers. Um, it's generally weekly. Uh, we have over 100 episodes we've done in the last three years. We run through a gamut of podca- uh, topics for our podcast. Our most recent episode was recorded live in Comic-Con, our third one in a row, where we rewatched and discussed what, uh, the, the question being, what can we learn from Neon Genesis Evangelion, um, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> and I contribute to the BatmanUniverse.net, as you might imagine, um, intermittently. I'm currently the reviewer for the Teen Titans uh, title of which I've only reviewed two issues. Um, I have done articles, uh, uh, editorials. I um, still need to finish my Tim Drake retrospective series. I'm like four-sixths of the way through. Um, And I'm on some some commentaries also, the Batman, the Gotham Chronicle podcast, which has finished the whole series, but we still have a couple episodes we'd like to do just in terms of conversation. But uh, thank you very much for having me, and I look forward to continuing... Reading and discussing the Cassandra Cain Batgirl series because I have full confidence that nothing will go wrong uh, between now and when people listen to this.
0: Interesting. Okay. Well, that's. Well, let's see. Let's put your money where your mouth is. This is a ten question questionnaire. Are you ready for this? Uh, uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're starting off with a zinger. In your professional opinion, is Batman a jerk? Yes. Oh, interesting. Have you you ever or do? (laughs) i'm sorry have you ever or do you consistently mansplain yes (laughs) oh my heavens is there a feminist agenda
2: yes and the feminist agenda as was told for me in my classroom when i have a uh, women's studies as a minor is that that agenda is gender equality okay so the answer is yes
0: okay what is your daily consumption of coffee
2: uh nil I don't drink coffee lovely
0: that's a great answer does Carolyn Coca indeed know? yes shipping or no shipping
2: shipping <laughs> 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 oh
0: man okay peaches or no peaches
2: wait a minute what, what is it is this with regards to the actual fruit or to your like emoji fetish
5: oh it's,
0: oh got the answer yeah <laughs> it's your interpretation of the question I suppose <sighs>
2: i should show you i should hmm. (laughs) Uh, i'll show you an image when we're done with this but like um i prefer not to have you know like uh hairy cracks just pop up you know when i least expect them
0: so no peaches is what you're tying me
2: i love the i love i love fruit but (laughs) I, I, i i seek them out rather than have them fall upon me okay
0: what are your thoughts on dana sterling's constant use of the shower?
2: That wasn't beyond the first like two, three or four episodes, right? Uh, <laughs> um, I'm sure her mother would be very proud. Okay.
0: Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, or Tom Holland?
2: Oh, this is a serious question. In regards to their own performance, not their movies, or ri- how they're written. Nothing but silence. Um,
0: I'm thinking. I mean, you asked a clarifying question, so now I've got to think about that. What you believe best represent in their performance best represented your ideal peter parker andrew garfield okay and finally babs or starfire
2: um for me or for dick grayson for dick grayson uh barbara gordon okay
0: thank you but
2: but, oh boy but to get there he has to have his relationship with Corey.
0: interesting okay Well, you heard it here first, folks. I guess you can vote on whether this person passed my questionnaire or not. I did tabulate. Once this episode posts, I'll put up a little Twitter poll because everyone, of course, on Twitter knows, right? So... They deserve their feedback. Remember, you can send any questions or comments to gmail.com Even if you have a complaint about my co-host or you feel like he was wrong in his judgment about Spider-Man Far From Home, you can email me. You can also uh, find the show on Google Play and Stitcher. <laughs> Like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at or Oracle. And follow the Batman universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. And support TBU by subscribing to Patreon. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backroll the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And until next time.
2: Fly on, cast lover. <gasps> <laughs> That's like that immediate pushed. dismissal. <laughs> That's something you do not do. <laughs> oh, <Okay. laughs>
3: Oh, yes. Fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Batgirl.
1: I love a happy ending, don't you? Hola, we're here in
0: Valencia It's Ellie and I And Ellie is here for True Confessions We're here at a tapas tapas restaurant True Confessions of the peanut tin incident (laughs) The peanut tin incident of 2019 Okay, she is a little nervous I might ask her questions (laughs) to get her going Ellie, where did you even get this peanut tin? Why did you need a peanut tin? So, what happened
4: (laughs) was, I am in Valencia, studying abroad, and living with a host family, and my mother thought it would be nice if I got a gift for my host family, and we were trying to decide what to get them, and she thought it would be a good idea to get some nice Virginia peanuts because that's a local thing and she thought that they would like it. So she went out on her own. Is (laughs) that blaming
0: your mother?
4: (laughs) No, it was nice that she was getting the gift for me because I didn't want to. But the point is I did not see this gift before it came home into my hands. And so she came home with this Giant tin of peanuts. I don't know how to describe the size of it. What would you say? You saw it? I
0: guess it's the size of like a Folgers coffee, like old-time yes. tin
4: with the coffee beans. Yes, how, it's what's big. What's the weight? It is three pounds. Three pounds with all this of the is peanuts an in it. <laughs> <laughs> to remember, three okay. whole pounds. So packing, it came time to pack. Where did you yes. pack the peanuts? I packed the peanuts in the suitcase. <laughs> Stella has just almost spit out her cappuccino. Okay, I'm so sorry. I, don't, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> because I'm thinking ahead to the store. Okay. It's frilly. Never mind. Okay, so you're on your way? Yes. The peanut tins are in your In the, the suitcase. suitcase. Safe and sound. What is the allowance of suitcase poundage when you go overseas? I believe it was 50 pounds. 50 pounds,
0: okay. So now you're in the airport, you're saying your last Cheerios (laughs) to your
4: parents. What sort of final words of advice did your parents give you? So my suitcase, we thought weighed about 40, what did I say? 48? 48 pounds. And so my parents, their final words to me were, if the suitcase is overweight, take out the peanuts.
0: Okay. So
4: you're rolling up to the, uh, <laughs> yeah, to check in. so I go and put my suitcase on the scale, and it is, in fact, 51 pounds, one pound over the limit. And so what pops into my mind, <laughs> the words of my mother saying take out the peanuts so I take the suitcase down unzip it in front of everyone and pull out the tin of peanuts and put it back on put the suitcase back on the scale and sure enough it dropped three pounds so I was good but then what did I have to do with the peanuts I had to put them in my carry-on
0: wow Okay, so then you make your way to TSA and the security checkpoint, and
4: uh, what went on there? <laughs> so, you know that you have to put food out on the, the yeah, what is it called? large electronics. Yes, large okay. electronics. So I had to pull out the peanuts which they did not look they don't look like (laughs) peanuts it looks like this big just giant tin of who knows what and so I put them out they were going along on the belt they had their own tub they had their own tub they could not fit with anything else and so the guy who's checking all the the items looks at them makes a very strange face (laughs) <laughs> like, what in the world is this? And picks them up and puts them on the, like, secondary belt to get a second check. Because they looked very suspicious, and so they had to get scanned. They had a little x-ray, and meanwhile, I was just standing there, like, wondering what in the world was going to happen. If I was going to get arrested, or my friend was also there laughing at me, which didn't help
0: so, would you say the peanut tin got a pat down?
4: I would say that, sure. <laughs> so after this experience, what have you learned, would you say? What have I what learned? What parting
0: words of wisdom would you give to
4: listeners that want to take a three pound tin of peanut Virginia peanuts overseas? Never do it. I didn't even get to eat them. Well, maybe when I got there, but there was nothing in it for me. I just had to cart them around. The whole time. I had a couple more flights after that and was in fear the whole entire time that I was gonna get arrested. Did you think people thought that this was a snack for you for the eight hour flight? (laughs) Probably. You just took it
5: down and started.
0: Okay, well that happens to be well told you, six minutes. That's the peanut tin incident. 2019 and boy has it brought joy to my life yeah too much and repeating it over and over again
4: (laughs) and just imagining every little detail (laughs) well thank you ellie for telling us sharing your story there should be a poll on a scale of one to ten how funny was that i can do that do it you would give it a 10 i would give it a I'd give it over to you. Three. Well, that's because you live it. <laughs> I'm
0: living it through my imagination and just.
4: <laughs> it's a beautiful thing.
0: Okay. Ciao. Goodbye. Adios.